Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Has time, delivers across the middle, and the catch is made by Tyler Morris, who tightrobes down the sidelines. Touchdown, Michigan, what a play! 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important. So is your budget. Was thrown for 398. Trying to get above 400, and he's on target. Oh, Doomsday, the catch with Ryan Watts. 65 Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance, protecting Texans since 1952. High punt, and it's most again and picked up at the one-yard line. Well, it wasn't a turnover, but it sets up McCarthy a long way away. That was Jake Thaw back there, not Morgan this time. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel, search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. Three Michigan tight ends in the ballgame. They headed to Corn again and makes the cut. First down. Spinston scores. Blake Corn puts Michigan on top in overtime. 
365 Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Advance to the National Championship game. Ewers loves it up, and it is incomplete. Intended for Mitchell. Elijah Jackson had the coverage. Washington hangs on and wins the All-State Sugar Bowl in the college football playoff semifinal. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Well, uh, we're back. It has been a very enjoyable chance to kind of decompress. Hope you had a chance to do that, too, throughout the holidays, or at least part of the holidays. We have a national championship game, first time in eight years. The SEC will not have somebody in the game, and first time in four years, the SEC will not have a champion of college football. I'm David Smoke with Paul Catalina and Craig Smoke. Also back, everybody, Jack McKenzie, Emery Winter, Garrett Ross, what a day it was yesterday. Two classic games, especially with how that game ended last night with Texas on the cusp of a monster upset. Not upset because if they would have won, but how badly they were in trouble with time and distance and score. But it's over. And now we have Michigan and we have Washington next Monday for the national title. Yeah, it's like the 90s all over again, uh, where Michigan and Washington are both good at the same time. Uh, who would have thought? Uh, but I thought both games were really good, uh, although, you know, um, I don't know if, uh, you know, you really made the argument for the four best teams the way that some of the, the Michigan-Alabama game went because it was kind of sloppy. But um, I, I, it was good. Michigan was tough. Alabama you know, did what they did all year. I was kind of surprised they didn't find a way to pull it out in the end because they won ugly every time. Penalties and stupid stuff and non-saving like Alabama team, uh, but they always kind of found a way. But Michigan did a great job not letting Jalen Milrow improvise, which is what has kind of carried Alabama through the last part of the season is that he just got so good at, all right, I'm going to go be an athlete, and they didn't let him do that. And then Washington uh, over Kay- – look, Kalen DeBoer was the AP coach of the year, and he certainly deserved that, although he almost had to give it back in the last minute last night because he kind of forgot what he was doing for a little bit there yeah glad to be back uh what's up chat uh it's been a little while but uh i feel like we all needed that break and we're glad to have it but are also glad to be here today and to have a national championship uh, game to now look forward to although it's bittersweet because that does mean the end of the college football season as a whole so here we are just one game to go and, and what a game it should be with washington michigan and what a way to close out you know bowl season unofficially yesterday with those semifinal games and uh what you know, classic finishes we had, you know, for all the talk that you want to, you know, put in there about how this part of the game or that part of the game might have gone, the endings were classics uh, with the overtime there with the Tide and and Wolverines and then obviously Texas' attempt to sit there and win the game there at the end. Uh, Fun games to watch. Uh, I think, you know, I'll I'll disagree with Paul maybe slightly, although we didn't really flesh out his opinion too much. I think it was pretty clear the committee was probably smiling yesterday because you look at those games and you get those two types of games, and I feel like you could sit there and say, see, this is why we did what we did. We wanted the four best teams, whereas had it been a Florida State, are you getting a game like that? We'll never know. Obviously, Florida State and their showing didn't do much to really, uh, you know, sway people in, in, in their, you know, direction as far as deserving because there wasn't much to take away from that game other than like that's not what Florida State was all year and that was a shell of of who they were but it did open the door for the Georgia fans to clamor and say see we should have been in there Mm -hmm. and I think if anything it was 
a win for all parties except for maybe Florida State and Georgia because the playoff committee got two classic games with a classic national championship game now on the docket, and you've got a very much a battle of good versus evil in some ways with Washington versus Michigan, and you saw Florida State go out there and just completely flounder and not look that great, but at the, on the other hand, you've got a lot of college football fans out there that say that Florida State sh- still should have deserved a shot, and they might have not made the semifinals, but deserve a spot in a first-round type of game. Maybe you beat a Liberty or whoever it might be, and then there's an Oregon, and there's a Georgia who can sit there and say, in an expanded playoff, we could have done some damage. We could have made some noise, and we'll get to find that out next year with whoever ends up making that. But, yeah, it was a lot to unpack and a couple of great games. One of the things, though, uh, Florida State would have had their full allotment of players, uh, maybe maybe one or two who are not there. I would think that their offense would have been able to do as much with their full allotment of players with uh, Rotomaker uh, as far as the quarterback. Bottom line, we'll never know because uh, everyone bolted, and, of course, that game with Georgia – uh, you know, Georgia had a chance. They could have ended Alabama's year. They could have possibly gotten Florida State in it. I don't know. But it's a lot of, well, what if? But the bottom line is we have evidence. We have two teams left, Michigan and also Washington, and both in different ways, but both in dramatic endings. And, Paul, you're going to do a Jordan Travis top well, five. I, I, I kind of did this whole thing because I – I, I didn't want to get full into I, my, I, my, my tinfoil hat rant. but Yeah, because I think we need to focus on those who those played, who, yeah, played the and game. also who was in the but, championship game but, and a few n- nuggets on that, too. But, but I do think that even uh, Sands, Jordan, Travis, that if Florida State's defense is at full strength, they could have hung with, with three of the four of the teams. Uh, I think Michael Penix would have pro- provided a problem, and he will for everybody, because he's just in his bag right now. I... Kalen DeBoer last night at the end of that game, though, like that's the thing that sticks out to me. Now, I think an argument he made that maybe the reason he's the coach of the year is is that he's coached the team well enough to know that if I, you know, forget what I'm doing for for 90 seconds here, all you got to do is make one play, and that's all they did at the end. One second left, they had to make a play. They made the play and they won the game. Uh, but the the way that Washington approached the last minute of that game was. The last, minute, the last minute, minute, minute and a 45, half, yeah. yeah it was the last minute 45 was awful. I mean, it was just awful. And so to hang on and win it just kind of shows how they do it. And they've done it all year. It's 10 games in a row where they, I mean, they, they just kind of play this way and find a way to win because you have one of the best quarterbacks, two best quarterbacks in the country in Michael Penix. Uh, and then you've got Roma Dunze and... You know, not to mention the other two guys, but when it comes down to it, when they need a big play or they need something demonstrative, it's just Penix to a Dunze, and it just pops the other team's balloon so much that what can you do about it? Well, than, here's not- the bottom line. Why were they running the ball at the end with Dylan Johnson? And somebody just mentioned, uh, well, Kalen DeBoer couldn't have predicted the player getting hurt. He had already been hurt. He was already injured. Dylan Johnson was injured. That's why you wonder about taking the knee. That injury probably cost somewhere between 25 and 40 seconds and allowed Texas. And then, of course, the pass or punt catch interference, another 15 yards. It put them in a position where they didn't have to risk that. Yes, if he picks up the first down, but they weren't going to get him more than a couple of yards with Johnson against that Texas running uh, Texas front because they hadn't gotten many yards rushing other than a Penix uh, kind of a zone read. But what a near disaster. 
and Texas was nearly in the championship game, but Penix was brilliant throughout the night. Yeah, I mean, that was a fantastic way to cap off uh, bowl season. Uh, that was just an, an awesome game all the way around. Really fun throughout, even though there was times where Washington seemed to be pretty well in control and then obviously not enough uh, to avoid the near catastrophe there at the end. I think if you're a Washington fan that you're just – very relieved and also not only excited about next week, but very relieved that you're standing around the water cooler after Christmas break and you're not talking about one of the great collapses in playoff history or one of the worst defeats in your school's history because that would have been right up there. Um, instead, you're talking about mistakes that were made that were overcame or that you dodged, and you can't help Dylan Johnson getting hurt. And he had a couple runs here and there that got nice yardage but never like broke free, obviously. Um, but, yeah, you can't – that's not DeBoer's fault that he gets hurt, but I understand that now we can kind of look back and say, well, had they done this, had they kneeled it, they could have ran time off. And, you know, luckily, again, for them, that's a mistake they get to learn from, but they're not hurt from. So um, be thankful for that. But, you yeah, know, what a game for Michael Penix. Uh, I think when you look at hindsight about, well, who should have been in the playoff? Should it have been different than the four that we got? Or who should have been this or been that? Who should have been the Heisman Trophy winner? I think there's a long conversation, you know, with the benefit of hindsight that you can have about Michael Penix and how deserving he may or may not have been for that award or how deserving he, he should have been for that award. Um, and he got mentions, but I did find it odd, and we talked about it, of like, why is Bo Nix getting more Heisman attention than Michael Penix at one stage, even after Washington had beaten them the first time? And why is this guy, why is that guy just without it? Why is Jaden Daniels just without a doubt the Heisman Trophy winner? And Michael Penix just seemed to sort of fade, and I get some of that's the performance, some of that's numbers in certain games and whatnot. But, man, he showed last night that he is among the best players in college football if there was any doubt. I don't think there was much. And he should have probably gotten even more consideration than he did uh, in the general discussion about the Heisman Trophy. He was sensational. And uh, he, he's been doing you know that kind of thing throughout the year, uh, off and on as far as tremendous performances. But last night was certainly up there amongst his best showings. And, uh, man, uh, Dunze, incredible player. Uh, he's going to be great in the pros. Yep. Uh, McMillan and Polk. Polk, especially coming off the, you know, being kind of banged up these last couple of games uh, to burst out and have the real big catch early on that nearly took it the distance, I thought was huge for Washington. So, yeah, I mean, their they're receivers and their quarterback, you knew going in that was the, the one area for Texas that you didn't really have, like, that concrete answer of, like, oh, yeah, we got this. Like, we can check that box. You felt pretty good, I think, but your one major worry was how is the secondary going to hold up against those receivers and against Michael Penix? And, unfortunately for Texas, that, that one glaring weakness was the glaring weakness in that game, and that's how Washington was able to ultimately get out in front and, and then hold on to win. Here's a note about the Washington receivers, because I know there was a lot of discussion. Penix mentioned the Texas defense during the lead, week leading up and mentioned that he didn't, not like the 40, Niners or the Eagles or whatever. There's no doubt Texas is front four, especially with Murphy and obviously Tavondre Sweat. They they still didn't do much, although Penix um, was really good on the zone read and probably could have taken it and gone many other times and scored walking into the end zone. But here's a couple of stats. The Washington receivers, Odunze, Polk, McMillan, and Bernard, who did have a terrible muff punt, were targeted 20 times last night. They caught 19 passes for 353 yards and two touchdowns. You cannot be more perfect, if in fact, unless it would have been 20 catches for 300-whatever yards. That means they were running free, but they also some some dry, dimes that uh, that Penix threw into well, a – and that doesn't include what he did with the tight end. Well, look, I – 
I think that there was like Ryan Watts was getting turned around by Roma Dunze, but sometimes I went back and was watching. And I think if Ryan Watts goes back and looks at the film, he's going to go, well, what can I, what, what can I, do? what yeah. am I supposed to yeah. do? Like I, I did everything I was coached to do. And this dude's just that guy. I mean, you know, sometimes you run up against Superman and that's Roma Dunze was, is that good? And then, you know, you, you know, you've got other guys. If Roma Dunze wasn't there, they have enough guys to make plays without him. He's just that much better. And he and Penix have such an unbelievable chemistry and they have this knack for, for knowing the moment really well of mm-hmm. this is okay. We didn't get it the last time, but we need to get it this the time. Throw and they down just the sideline that led to their yeah. last field goal was absolutely just incredible because, as Craig, you mentioned, Watts was right where he was supposed to be. Yeah, Dunesay, another guy, if you want to go look hindsight, we're talking about, well, Penix, maybe you with the Heisman should have gotten a couple more votes. So how about the Blitnikoff and Roma Dunesay? I know some people who voted for him, and uh, I, I don't know. I would have had a hard time not voting for him, although Marvin Harrison Jr. is obviously a great player. But, yeah, Roma Dunesay. Uh, showed the the country who maybe didn't know. I think most people did uh, of why he is just such a spectacular player, and and just that whole wide receiving core is is pretty special uh, there for Washington. So is the quarterback, and he's got a great story. And you know, it wasn't just them though. I mean, that defense made some plays when they needed to. Um, you know, it would have been interesting to see Texas early on able to run the ball really effectively, and then they got behind, and then they weren't able to really just you know go to the run as often as they probably would have liked to have done. I I, I don't know. That would have been. Just curious to see how that game would have played out had they not found themselves in a little bit of a hole feeling like they had to pass it a little bit more, how Washington's defense would have held up against that. But I think that they played pretty well. And that offensive line for Washington deserves a massive amount of credit uh, as well. You know, so much talk about matchups. And I mentioned the Texas um you know, secondary, but how about all of the talk about the Texas D-line and how dominant they've been and how great they've been, and then, you know, the Washington O-line, pretty good too, and they, they even had some comments going into that game, right, yep, of trying yep. to get some little trash talk bulletin board material where the Texas D-line caught wind of, you know, some some Washington offensive linemen talking about, well, hey, we're pretty good, and, you know, this and that, and, man, I didn't hear Murphy's name much last night. I didn't hear Sweat's well, name much last night. I know they weren't always in on every play, um, but – that was a pretty uh, spectacular effort as well from the Washington Huskies offensive line. Here's a note that discussed what you just discussed, uh, that both Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, both of them are incredible players. There's no doubt about that. They had six pressures of Michael Penix. Now, there was one where Murphy looked like he had Penix dead to right. He stepped up in the pocket and threw a dart. But they had six pressures. The defensive player of the game last night, besides the ball being swatted away at the end, was Trice. He was everywhere, but... I, one of the things leading up to the last three or four games that I noticed with Texas players, especially Murphy, he'd put like that little symbol of time and date and where they're going to play a game. And it was, it was, he was, he backed it up. He did that again last week. I think it was with an offensive lineman or with yeah, Penix during a media and, session. Or something. And in this yeah. particular case, Washington came in confident. Texas came in confident, went down to the wire, but sweat and Murphy who did a good job against the run did not put pressure. None of them did against Penix throughout most of the night last night. No, and, you know, Washington, I mean, they might be a team of destiny because every, like, weird call that could have gone against them didn't last night. I mean, Michael Penix threw a ball 
well across the line of scrimmage, except for apparently like his his right shoulder and ass cheek, uh, and they didn't. Whatever it takes. Yeah, well, you know, so it didn't. It didn't. You know, it didn't. It wasn't a penalty, even though. Man, it sure looked like one. Well, it was like everything, like his elbow of his throwing arm and beyond was behind the line, but everything else was in front of the line, yeah. so he was just very lucky there. Yeah, he was anything. just yeah, yeah, super lucky there. And the ruling um, is, as long as any part of your body is behind the line of scrimmage, even if both feet are across, then it's still behind the line of scrimmage, which I, I'm not sure yeah. I agree with that, but that was an interesting yeah, play. But, yeah, I, I always yeah, – I remember thinking, like, because when, when you're in – um, when they don't have replay, usually if you step your foot across, you know, in high school or whatever, then it's beyond the line of scrimmage because they don't have any other way to know um, unless they're standing right on it. But I, um, but then they had a block in the back that could have been called at a certain time that wasn't called, um, and it was very obvious. Yeah, it was right they in had, front of the Texas bench. Yeah, that was had, a little bit strange. They, they had a, like it was just all yep. these weird things that went against them, and then to. Uh, Texas's other problem last night was they just they had you know a lot of little paper cut things false starts and offsides well, they and had the turnover fumbles, Washington had the and, muff and then they've turned it turned over twice with yeah, the running so, back cart uh, pack but what am I thinking about the running back from Florida that's their five star kid Baxter and then but, yeah Baxter and then also Kane had a what look no, blue. Uh, Blue had a, a, a turnover, and the official saying he was down, and he was Standing running up. with the ball bobbling. <laughs> yeah. But it was an incredible game. I, I, Ewers was pretty much non-existent, as was Worthy and Mitchell to the end. And when that game kind of opened up, and you could see they had an opportunity, they started forcing the ball down the field a little bit, field a little bit. But in the end, we have Washington and we have Michigan. Yeah, it was an incredible fun atmosphere uh, there in the Sugar Bowl last night made me think of when we were there about three years ago and just what that atmosphere can be like when it's packed out and New Orleans is buzzing with you know the Sugar Bowl and all of that and I can only imagine with those two fan bases and there being a playoff uh, atmosphere in addition to just the regular Sugar Bowl activity just how fun that scene must have been um, but I'm just so thankful that the semifinals lived up to all the hype. Is all the consternation, all the discussion, all the anger in some cases. Uh, those two games were legit, and we're going to have what looks like a pretty legit national championship as well. And hey, kudos to Texas had a tremendous season. I think if you're Brett, your mark, you're smiling. You got the payout for the playoff, but you don't have to sit there and then worry about them leaving with the national championship trophy in tow. Although I'd be interested to hear his thoughts. Uh, in totality about just the whole Texas exit and their success at the end. But, um, you know, that was their their last ride, and now it's off to the SEC, and I think they've got a lot of great things to build off of, a lot of exciting things uh, in store. Um, but certainly getting to that point is easier said than done. And even with the expanded playoff, yeah, you're going to be a playoff team easier than you would have been in previous years. That goes for just about every program, but – you know, that four, that four in the way that it is, it'll never be like that probably ever again. You were able to get there in that last year with a really special team, and I know you've got to feel like as great of a game as I was, like, man, we we blew an opportunity there, right? And I'm sure that Alabama feels the exact same way of, like, man, we had an opportunity. I wish, I bet they wish they had that play call back to Jalen Milrow on the keeper to end or the game. Or they had or, a better snap. Or like, better throughout snap. Throughout the game, or, which was a problem. So, you know, you lose in, in those games yesterday. You're going you're gonna to have things that you question, but, you know, hats off to Steve Sarkeesian, um, I'm not a Texas fan, but I am a fan of his. I think he's a really great coach. I do think there was some play calling uh, there at the end. There was, you know, feels like almost like nerves got the the best of them, maybe in some cases. Uh, but it was a terrific team, and they're going to be hard pressed to sit there and just run it back because that's a really good bunch of guys, and they're going to lose some talent to the NFL. But I mean, that goes for 
for all the semifinal teams. But, uh, yeah, hats off to Texas. Hats off to Alabama. And uh, can't wait to see Michigan and Washington. We will get a little bit later on in the show that Baylor tonight opens up their pavilion, the Foster Pavilion against Cornell. We'll discuss, show a couple of pictures of that. That's right across the Brazos River. Here's a note. Ari Wasserman kind of missed this one, but it, I was going to put up a tweet, but he, he did not mention that uh, there have only been three teams since 2000 who have won a national title without having signed a top five class in any of the previous four years before the title. 2010 Auburn, who was their quarterback? Um, Cam Newton. 2016 Clemson had Trevor Lawrence. Or excuse me, Deshaun Watson in 2018 Clemson had Trevor Lawrence. Neither Michigan or Washington going into Monday will have had a top five national signing day class leading up to the national championship that one of the two will win. So there'll be four times since 2000. Now a lot's changed. Transfer portal, NIL, uh, a lot, uh, it just, it's a lot has changed, but that just goes to show you that they did not have a bunch of those top five classes and here they are playing for the national title. Yeah. Uh, I do think you, you, uh, have to look at it and that's going to have to adjust uh, as well, uh, because part of this is transfers as well. So you, uh, may not have top five classes, but if you've got guys who have developed in your program that you took from somewhere else or guys that developed somewhere else and then cashed in to go to your program, then that, that kind of changes the, the classes a little bit, you know? And so because of that, you know, a school like Washington uh, and a school like Michigan, even though Michigan, you recruits really high, you know, level guys, they're, they're on the back, especially on their offensive defensive lines of guys who transferred. So those weren't guys that he recruited or signed in those classes. They just got better when they got to Michigan and, and helped them win. So, yeah, I think you're going to see more and more of that uh, as it goes on because sometimes you could, if you have a, you know, say you sign a, the ninth best class, but you have, you know, five stud transfers that come in, yep. that kind of races you from ninth to probably second. Somebody, somebody in the chat mentioned Michael Penix was like 27, he's 23, he is 24 in May. Jordan Whittington's 23. You're going to have a lot of those five- or six-year guys. Whittington, I think, signed in 2019. Baylor had a ton of super seniors when they won it in 2021, the Sugar Bowl. It's part of what is today's college football. Yeah, that's just uh, one of those things that you're either going to like it and, and deal with it or maybe not like it, you just deal with it, or you're not going to like that. And I guess maybe just college football is not going to be as much for you. They got the, the, clo- uh, the COVID traffic jam going on with these bonus years and then all of the transfer openness it's just what it's turned into in some cases but you know going to the transfer talk Michael Penix uh, coming over from Indiana after you know some brutal injuries there able to resurrect his career and have obviously a very nice finish with one more game in store you know Jalen Polk was at Texas Tech we can go on and on about you know all throughout the rosters but that does overcome the fact that you didn't sign a top 10 class and you go grab a really great receiver, a really great quarterback, a really great whatever else have you at, at any position and do that through the transfer portal. So if you look at the rankings right now, I mean, Washington's like 36th in the country yep, with yep. their 2024 recruiting class. They're barely top 40. Michigan's 15. I mean, so, you know, maybe those those days are dying where you have to have the top five recruiting class. And I want to say it's – Maybe like Bud Elliott or somebody that always like hammers home. I've just seen it two or three times now in the last couple of years. It stuck with me of you have like only the teams that have had top five, top ten recruits. It's Ari. Oh, is it Ari? Yeah, okay, Ari, yeah. Ari. And I think maybe others have have 
sh- uh, shown a flashlight on that as well. Um, but to that point of, yeah, you have to have this. Well, no, you don't anymore with the transfer portal. Not necessarily you don't. And so I think that's welcome news for those who don't recruit at a super ultra elite level with basically guaranteed top 15 classes every year, like the teams that we always talk about. So, yeah, that's that's probably a good thing for college football in the long run that you don't have to have that signing class to guarantee later on success. All right, so uh, every roster is different. Everybody has their own philosophies. And then again, after all of that, and we're watching what you have on the chat room today, there are players who are signing or at least committing to different schools, including quarterbacks, and here are three of them. Uh, DJ from Oregon State is going to be at, in fact, Florida State. Ugalele, he is now going to be with the Florida State Seminoles in Mike Norvell. I am so happy that DJ Uyangalele has made a wonderful life decision and is on his way there uh, to Florida State. I, 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 I think it's a good fit in the offense. He's great with the deep ball. And look, he has not lived up to being probably the number two recruit in the country, but he's a really good quarterback, and he he, he really clicked at Oregon State. Uh, and I think Mike Norvell will do a good job, and this gives them a little time to develop uh, some of the young guys that they have uh, there. Brock Glenn, who um, I'm sure you guys uh, uh, saw the last two games he played, is not ready to play. And then they've got a four-star quarterback coming in named Luke Kromanuk, uh who's pretty good. So it's a nice pickup for for Florida State and should help them uh, rope in uh, some more transfers. All right, he's going to be around for another year, so let's say it together. Uwe. Uwe. Ungalale. Ungalale. Uwe Ungalale. Yes. What's uh, wrong with just saying, like, the, the Navy head football coach? You said DJU. You can call yeah. DJU is what I usually would go with, with if it would escape me at any given moment, but he is going to be around another year, so we might as well learn to – to say his name now, but uh, no, it's it's a good pickup for Florida State on paper. He was a lot better at Oregon State than I think a lot of people expected him to be. Just had that bad taste in their mouths from the Alabama stint, and then he goes and obviously has tremendous success with the Beavers. Real shame for them, the way the season ended, and that just nasty blowout in the bowl game to Notre Dame, given they were shorthanded, no head coach, uh, you know, with the move to Michigan State there, with Jonathan Smith, no quarterback, so on and so forth. Um, so that wasn't the Beavs at full strength. But, uh, yeah, DJ used a really nice pickup for Florida State. Uh, the hope for the Knowles has to be that he just continues to progress and get better. And now Mike Norvell is able to add some more um, – I guess attributes or, or increase uh, some of his better attributes and just move him along to being an even better player next year. So I look forward to seeing what that is all going to shape up to be like for FSU next season. There'll obviously be a team that's on a mission uh, with something to prove and who knows what their circumstances are in terms of the future and all of that. But the present still looks pretty good for FSU despite the ending to this season. And uh, that certainly was great news when you know you're losing Jordan Travis for good. He's not coming back. And so it's uh, yeah. a matter of you needed a quarterback. And and we also saw another name rumored that uh, I'm sure you'll get to here with uh, Cam Ward in a second as well. So that, that answers that question about what the Knowles were going to do. There were three do. big names yesterday, especially uh, you mentioned Cam Ward, but – one of the note about uh, what Florida State has on their schedule next year is they play against Clemson. Isn't that where they do? DJ, they always play against you Clemson. Started, yep. Yeah, so I that'll can't. be an interesting uh, uh, turnaround there. I, I'm, also, I'm very much looking forward to them beating Dabo Sweeney with his biggest failure. So you're saying that signing <laughs> DJU overcomes the fact you were left out of the semifinal? No, nothing um, ever will. Absolutely KJ Jefferson will. is going to UCF. We'll have a writer that covers UCF today at four o'clock. He's committed. He's headed to UCF, the former Arkansas quarterback that 
had himself uh, kind of an erratic year, I think. But he's now going to be a part of the Big 12. That will be of interest. By, and then as, by the way, hold on. While on K.J. Jefferson, I would like it noted that I did a top five about this young man uh, just two weeks ago. And where, Garrett, did I say that he should go? Florida State. People should listen to me. <laughs> DJU? No. Well, DJU oh, listened to me. Jefferson, but yeah. K.J. No, Jefferson absolutely. went to UCF, right. and the reason I said that is because. So you said you, he said, you said he should go to UCF. Yeah, yeah so Florida KJ, State. Florida State. Said, oh, okay, well, yeah. DJU, I, I, yeah, I did mention that earlier in another top five. But K.J. Jefferson, I said he should go to UCF because Gus Malzahn's best success <laughs> was with Cam Newton. If you were going to give a cop to skill set, not maybe production-wise, but what K.J. Jefferson is, is a big quarterback who's super athletic with a rocket arm. Well, that's Cam Newton. And who was Cam Newton's coach? Gus Malzahn. I think it's a great fit. He'll be a problem for some teams in the Big 12, no question, and especially with UCF coming off one of their best recruiting classes ever, too. Yeah, it seems like it should be a pretty nice little fit there, and uh, certainly sturdier than John Rice Plumley. Uh, you don't feel like you're kind of dealing with glass there, and all due respect to JRP, but that was part of the storyline for the Knights was quarterback health all throughout the year. With K.J. Jefferson, I feel like you got a guy who's uh, certainly able to withstand the – the, the season's beatings and uh, able to, to be in there with you every single week. But, yeah, a pretty good player uh, who just was on a team that was very forgettable this past season. Obviously, there's hot seat talk that's going to be surrounding Sam Pittman entering next season all throughout this offseason. They have to show some improvement. Where do they find themselves in the new SEC? I mean, you're already there towards the bottom ranks. They're getting rid of divisions, but now they're adding two teams who are better than you on paper and are better than you historically um, and also rivals, especially Texas. So what does that look like for Arkansas? Uh, not surprised to see KJ, you know, look elsewhere and uh, not surprised to see Gus Malzahn uh, get excited about the possibilities there. So, yeah, that's that's a fun matchup uh, or pairing and look forward to watching him in the Big 12 next season. Cam Ward to the NFL. There were thoughts that he might end up somewhere in college football for another year. He started at Incarnate Word. He played at Washington State, had himself one hell of a year. He is now entering the NFL draft, and we'll discuss this and then get to another player, another named quarterback that just entered the portal here in the last few minutes. Your thoughts about Cam Ward? Fantastic players. One of the great success stories of the transfer portal coming over from Incarnate Word to Pullman, Washington there to play for the Cougs and have really a dynamic couple of years. Uh, really surprised that he chose the NFL only because I wasn't expecting it. I just wasn't, I didn't have it in my mind that that was as much of an option for him as it obviously was. I just figured he would be in college football for another season and didn't give the NFL option that much thought. And that's just on me. Um, I'm curious to hear what kind of feedback he got he's not signed an agent so he still has about what 10 days or so to back out of that decision and return to college football but that that's the question is where would he go um but yeah that's uh that was a surprising move just because I, again i wasn't expecting the nfl option as heavily as i was thinking about where he would go like miami for example yep. so uh pleasant surprise and i'm a big cam ward fan i'm very excited for him to show his chops on the next level or if he reverses course uh, that'll be a great transfer portal story to to follow um, and, and that recruitment because he's a big-time player. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big loss for Washington State, but you knew that was coming their way anyways. Caden Salter. Liberty was 12-0, and got hammered in the uh, bowl game by Oregon. He now, just a minute ago, has announced that he's entering the transfer portal. 
Yeah, it'll be an interesting one to see where he lands. And there are some big spots still open. USC's gotten weird with uh, now Miller Moss tearing it up in the, in the Holiday Bowl. Maybe he's the guy. So, you know, Will Howard, where does he wind up? Miami was really counting on Cam Ward uh, to commit there, and he's going to the NFL now, uh, although he does have, you know, uh, he hasn't officially entered yet. He has until the, excuse me, the 15th to do that. Uh, but, yeah, there's going to be a Caden Salter uh, played well uh, at Liberty, and so he he's going to garner some interest, and there's a lot of spots open, but there are three schools I can think of that come to mind that are going to have to really go to plan B in that uh, Ohio State, we don't know what their plan is for, for next year, and Devin Brown started the the bowl game, and yeah, I don't know if they really want to roll the dice and say if with a full offseason he's going to be the guy. Uh, USC is an interesting situation, like I said, with Miller Moss, and then Miami, who has tried to entertain any transfer quarterback that would come, but has yet to get a commitment from any of them. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by what Miami does next, and I guess Will Howard's still out there, right? Uh, he could yeah. be headed to USC. It seemed like that was the favorite I saw on a telecast the other night they were discussing it uh, so will howard's still out there and he could answer the problem for uh, miami or for usc for that matter although yeah with miller moss playing the way that he did in the bowl game it's just a bowl game but yet you saw some really good things and it seemed like they got a great spark from uh, just that that performance so um, that that will be interesting to see but with caden salter I mean, he started off as a Tennessee guy, and then he got booted off the team after getting into trouble early on in his career and ended up at Liberty and had a fantastic season statistically. He's a finalist for the Earl Campbell Tyler Rose Award, which is the best player in college football Division One from the state of Texas. He's from Cedar Hill up in the Dallas area, uh, but he was good enough to go to Tennessee originally, right? And then he goes to Liberty and has a monster year statistically, uh, as a real dual threat. I mean, able to sling the rock around, but also able to run it effectively as well. The but comes in when you say, but it was at Liberty, and look at their schedule, and look when they actually faced a team that could actually breathe. And and they got destroyed, and he did not have a good game. Nobody on Liberty was walking away from that game feeling great about uh, that showing. But, yeah, that's the only the pause is just that what he did was against some very inferior competition compared to what he will see, but he put up monster numbers and was the best player on Liberty by a mile and a very talented guy who, again, started off his career with the ball. So I'm sure there will be a great market for him, especially given that there are multiple teams that still seem to be in need. Now, we need to remind ourselves the portal doesn't just close officially here in the next couple of weeks and then it's over. Like There will still be, for those in search of a quarterback, post-spring ball, entries as well that you can look at but will it be as appetizing as what you've got right now or what you did have right now or a will howard someone along those lines or caden salter i don't know so yeah these last uh, remnants of the big name quarterbacks and, and now a, a fresh one there in salter will be fun to watch and, and see how those dominoes fall all right we'll take a break here come back with some of the comments questions you have when it comes to the uh the uh, chat room it's been a while been a long time since we saw you which was the Friday before the Thanksgiving, or excuse me, Christmas break. A couple of notes on consecutive winning seasons as a head coach with one school. We'll have that graphic, a couple of other things to get to. Boy, we're glad to be back. It was nice to be away to decompress, and we're back in here. Uh, a note about Gus Malzahn and Gene Chizik and Cam Newton. I'll get to that. Somebody was talking about it. That was Gene Chizik's team. Uh, Malzahn was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach of that team when uh, Cam Newton and Auburn won the national title. This is 365 Sports.
Stonewood Dental, Robinson, Texas, Dr. Steve Childress, my dentist, and I'm so glad that he is because he's helped me dramatically with what I needed, some truth serum about my dental work because for too long I had some bad habits, had too much sugar in my mouth, and now I feel so much better about where I am. I don't wake up every day like, oh, there's that tooth or there's this tooth or whatever it might be. Still some work to do, but Dr. Steve Childress had me uh, put together a game plan, the two of us together. And we did. And I feel great now uh, about where my dental work is, although that's always something that you need to make sure you work on. He's in Robinson, Texas. They have an amazing staff for whether it's teeth cleaning or something traumatic, whether it is a root canal or something that might be an implant. Dr. Steve Childress in Robinson, Texas at Stonewood Dental. Drive into the new year with confidence and excitement during the Start Something New Sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco. Get incredible deals on our entire selection of new Ram trucks, Jeeps, SUVs, Chrysler sedans, or a sporty Dodge. Get more for less guaranteed. More value, more selection, more service, more trade-in allowance, and even more competitive financing. Hurry in and start 2024 with a bang. Shop the greatest selection of inventory in Central Texas at Allen Samuels in Waco. In-store or online at allensamuelsdcj.com and make it a forgettable. Pioneer Steel and Pipe opened their doors in 1943 and they have never wavered with their focus on great product and customer service, relationships with a handshake, making sure you, the customer, is satisfied. Their new facility is now twice the size, allowing new inventory, higher quantities, and in a much more organized fashion. In addition to the long lengths of tubing, angles, channels, rods, and flat, Pioneer Steel and Pipe now offers several shorter, more convenient lengths of material already cut. Their 2,500 square foot showroom has over a thousand new products in stock, new welding supplies, hardware, quickcrete, and do-it-yourself components for any project, whether you are a professional contractor or weekend warrior. The new facility is designed to make your loading experience faster and more efficient with easy drive lanes around the building and much more room to get your trailer loaded. Our location may have changed, but our values haven't, and our relationship with customers goes much farther than just business. Pioneer Steel and Pipe on Loop 340 and Highway 6 and just east of I-35 in Waco. Automatic Chef Canteen is a full-service micro-market vending and office coffee provider with state-of-the-art vending equipment, a wide variety of products, and offering custom-fitted micro-market vending office coffee solutions for your employee break room. You want a full break room solution and a workplace oasis? Well, Automatic Chef Canteen, locally owned and operated for over 50 years in Central Texas, also includes in-house mechanics on call 24-7 for fast, reliable service and maintenance. Automatic Chef Canteen, 6900 Imperial Drive in Waco or online at automaticchefcanteen.com. Looking to connect with Baylor alums in your area? Baylor alumni can help. Looking to host a watch party in your city? Baylor alumni can get you started. Want to step out in your community and serve with other alums? Baylor alumni is your connection with the university and each other. Let's get started. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. Stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. See all the things they can achieve in our boots at goarmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. 
From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is 365 Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. All right, over the uh, time of the bowl games, Mike Gundy and, and Oklahoma State beat AM. That was one of the games involving the Big 12, but also now, of course, the SEC. It, they put up a list of most consecutive winning seasons at one school by a head coach. Bobby Bowden at the very top. Bear Bryant, Tom Osborne, Frank Beamer. What a run he had at Virginia Tech. Turned them completely around. Paterno at Penn State, Lavelle Edwards, and Daryl Royal. But look where Mike Gundy is now at 18. Now, I don't imagine he may get into the 20s or whatever, but Bowden's number seems like that's going to be there for quite some time. Stoops at Oklahoma. Fielding Yost back in the day at Michigan, Nick Saban, Don James, Barry Switzer, the active streaks, Mike Gundy, and Nick Saban, and about half of where Bobby Bowden was at the top with some big boy alpha national championship well, names on that list. Well, if you look at the top names on that list, all the way down to Daryl Royal, and then you know you, you kind of skip over Gundy, who's who's been there a long time, obviously, but then Bob Stoops is kind of the indicator of why you probably won't have this anymore because who's going to coach for 33 years now, especially when you're making $10 million a year, if you hit the goals that you have for your life and you have $80 million in the bank, maybe you don't want the stress of it anymore. So yeah, I, I doubt anybody's going to coach 33 years. Even, that's not even 30 that we're talking about and, and winning seasons. Yeah. Because but, some of them had maybe some losing seasons near the end or at the beginning, but that's 33 consecutive winning seasons. Yeah, so who's going to stay at a place 33 years, really, uh, that often anymore? You know, know. It's just not going to happen. I don't know. Can you but, say that again, Garrett, just because I wanted to, to look back. So, yeah, the 18, uh, he did have a losing season, but that's what started yes. started the the set. But in 2005, they went 4-7, and seven, and that was the, the start of this uh, I guess streak right here of, of 18 consecutive seasons since 2005 when they were four and seven. But other than that, he's finished above 500 in every single season since he's been at Oklahoma State, and that four and seven was his debut season Absolutely. at Stillwater. So, other than year one, 
every year they finished above 500, which is pretty incredible and a testament to just how consistently good that they've been to great in certain years. You know, a team a few years ago that with Brandon Whedon, like a few things go differently and they maybe play for a national title, maybe win a national title. And how different is the whole narrative surrounding the Big 12 or Oklahoma State if that was the case? But, you know, he's the guy that uh, I think gets a lot of credit but maybe still doesn't get enough credit. And I know he can be kind of controversial in some ways, but – uh, he's a really good football coach, and that was a really nice win for them over a Texas A&M team. Let's face it, they're in transition. They're depleted. Um, but to you know lose to Texas A&M, would that have been one of those where A&M fans would have let it go? No, they would have been like, hey, we beat you. Mm-hmm. So if you're Oklahoma State, absolutely enjoy that. Enjoy the bragging rights. Enjoy the win over a former Big 12 you know, rival and enjoy being able to to hang your head on uh, on that bowl victory there in the uh, Texas Bowl. So that was big for a lot of different reasons. Ten win season as well for Gundy. I think just the question is, is like when do you break through and win the Big Twelve? You know, when is, is that now that Oklahoma's out of the way? Is that now that not so much that Texas was in your way as much as Oklahoma was, but now that they're both out of your way, does that lead you to finally being able to throw that Big 12 trophy up above your heads and, and have it be yours and yours alone? Uh, it's uh, it's you know a team that I think has to be right there on the forefront of when you're talking about the future of the Big 12, what teams are best set up, but they're a team that seems to always be an afterthought in some ways. They're the fourth or fifth team sometimes mentioned, and it probably should be where they're like the first team mentioned, quite frankly, or the second team. Um, So, yeah, that's uh, just incredibly consistent and good football by uh, Gundy and his guys through a lot of ups and downs and, uh, you know, nice win again there to end the season. By the way, again, that list was not without a losing record. It was the most consecutive winning seasons because Don James, his first uh, second year at Washington, had a losing season, then went on the run of 16 consecutive winning seasons. Now, my favorite part of all the bowl games, I can't help it, right there. I think it was everyone's. I am almost 65 years old in May, and I cannot tell you, and maybe it was because we were on an extended break and were able to decompress and do a lot of things you wanted to do that you didn't have time to do, whatever, I have not in my, I cannot remember the last time I laughed for hours, even the next day or two, over the Pop-Tarts Bowl and the mascot, the brilliance of that. It was, I thought, so fun, so refreshing, and just brilliant. Well, I think Pop-Tarts kind of cracked the code on how you make these increasingly more pointless bowl games with the new thing fun and interesting for people to watch is that you make it an event, like make it some sort of event that doesn't necessarily just have to just have to be about the, the actual football on the field because the pop tarts bowl had every, and it was a good game too yep. uh, on top of it. So that certainly helped out that, that, uh, you know, that Kansas state and Avery Johnson, uh, was such, was really fun to watch, but, uh, yeah, this is this is where you have to go headed forward. I think if you're a brand out there looking at how to do it and how to really maximize, you know, what your visibility, Pop Tarts nailed it. And I think going forward, especially if you want players to play in the game, you're going to have to cut them in for some of the money anyway. That's so probably going to have to uh, happen. Yeah. big companies like Pop Tarts can do that. So I think this was this was well executed from a marketing sense from top to bottom. 
Yeah, frosted uh, brown sugar cinnamons, the route that I go typically with the Pop Tarts. And uh, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, you, you like, love this. Like, you, like, you, like, no, I loved did. it. Yeah, I did. Um, I thought it was fun. I thought it was unique and it was a, it was a cool, different flavor, so to speak, of, uh, from the rest of the bowl games. And yeah, it was a really, you know, great showing by Avery Johnson. Uh, K State's got a lot to be excited about moving into the next season, even though this season kind of waffled between, Really good, pretty good, and then a little bit disappointing. Um, still a really strong season for Climbing and Company, and obviously a, a fun way there to end it and a great quarterback to look forward to for the next couple of years. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they had fun with it, and as opposed to some of these other just sort of more generic, like in – and name only is it different from any of the rest, uh, every or the location perhaps. But other than that, they're all pretty much kind of the same, you know, thing. And and Pop Tarts uh, did it a little bit differently, so they've gotten a ton of free advertising for it because so many people have talked about it because it, it made its mark. And uh, I think that's what you should seek to do if you're these bowl sponsors rather than just slapping your name on something. And it wasn't cheap. I thought it was well done. Yeah, I thought it was. No, it I was. think the guy that was the mascot guy or girl were fantastic, flipping the thing behind his back as he's going down the toaster and i thought climbing was great when he came out and he started eating it and throwing it out in the crowd well, i just thought it was okay just cute so here's the strategy was look and it, they they've done it with their commercials now too they have made pop tarts sentient beings that their dream is to get eaten like yes. that's what yes. the goal in life of a pop tart is so as where most times you know, you've seen like, you know, a chicken nugget running away from somebody who's trying to eat it. Uh, the Pop-Tarts are running to uh, their Valhalla, which is you digesting them. Like the M&M's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the so it's the opposite of that. The M&M's don't want to get eaten. The Pop-Tarts do. And uh, they did it. So that's and they, they made it funny and they leaned into it really hard. I will say this. Um, that bowl, when we covered it, that same exact bowl game was called the Camping World Bowl, and it was just oh, kind of there. It was, the it was just kind of there. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Athletic it was, bowl. yeah. Yeah, the Russell Athletic Bowl. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Russell Athletic Bowl. We didn't get get free shorts. Like, nothing. Like, there was no, there's no, it was just there. No offense to Russell Athletic. I've, I've worn your products in my life. But Pop-Tarts, they did it. Like, so this is how you do it from now on. You lean in. Yep. Yeah, it was just great marketing. I think the marketing agency, whoever was behind that, is getting their flowers and got uh, their, their, you know, wanted feedback because everybody was talking about the Pop-Tarts Bowl while that was going on and all of the fun and all of the gifs and, and all of the, the mascot uh, tomfoolery and all of that. So, yeah, that was a way to stand out from the pack. The game turned out to be pretty good, too, so that helped matters. But uh, that's – a good example of how you can kind of stand out from the rest of these other bowl games, especially when there's so much talk now about do these matter? Should we have these? What should they look like? You know, all that discussion. I saw a good bit of that last night and, and throughout the Christmas break. Um, I, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle as far as all of the different opinions on bowl games. Like, I don't think they should go away. I don't think they're the end-all, be-all like they used to be. I, I'm somewhere elsewhere i'm still figuring out myself like how that can best be done but i think if you're looking for what bowl games should be you look at the pop tarts bowl and you say well that's it if you're not playing for the the title or you're not in a new year's six game like that's what bowl games should be about it should be about fun it should be about um the sponsor it should be about you know just entertainment and that was some good entertainment in a sea of games that otherwise didn't stand out nearly as much so yeah well done by 
by Pop-Tarts, I guess. Well done by their marketing agency. Show Memo Liberty shows again why G5 needs their own bowl games as well as national championships. I guess we forgot about Tulane and USC and the Cotton Bowl. And there are very few pieces of evidence, but yet again, that might be coming down the road at some point anyway. But Liberty earned it based on how the rules are set up for the college football playoff and bowl games. Yes and no, because SMU could have very well have been in that game. And that was the big controversy was when Liberty got picked over them. Well, they got beat, them. too. Well, yeah. they got beat, yeah. too. But, I mean, would they have put up a better effort? I would have to imagine they could have because mm-hmm. how could you really do much less than Liberty? So, no, with the Tulane example, I don't think it shows that a G5 shouldn't be involved, that they should have their separate playoff necessarily because you do have an example of just a year ago. Uh, of of Tulane beating USC, and there's other examples as well. I mean, Cincinnati making the playoff and so on and so forth. There's been some good G5 teams. I don't think it's fair to just show Liberty 2023 and say, this is all G5 teams. This is all they are, and this is all yeah. they'll be. And that that seems a little bit short-sighted and, and not really and a disservice to the G5 as a whole, um, just that one example. But that's going to be the taste left in the mouth of a lot of people is seeing Liberty and going up. Oh, see, this is why you shouldn't have these teams with these teams. And you know what? If that's your stance and you've got this latest example of Liberty getting blown out the way they did by Oregon, then you've got a you know a pretty strong recent um, example to use. But, yeah, I don't think that that speaks for everybody every single year, but it certainly did not look good for the G5s. And, nope. and I wonder what SMU could have done. But that was Liberty finally playing somebody. I mean, they tore up inferior competition throughout the year, and they finally ran into somebody who was clearly better and more talented and better coached and so on and so forth. And um, it it turned out to what it was, which was a very ugly, forgettable bowl game. And, uh, you know, I was also surprised there was some discussion – People, I felt like, were curious about what kind of a turnout there would be for a school like Liberty being in a game like this for the very first time. And based on the crowd shots that I saw, just like there wasn't, I don't know, there was lots of jokes about the fact that it's an online school because apparently that's where their fans were. You know, a lot of jokes like that because they did not turn up and turn out like you'd expect a school with that opportunity in front of them to do. Uh, I don't know, maybe it, it was different in person. But, yeah, that was that was a bloodbath and, and not a great look for the G5s, considering that Liberty was basically their ambassador this year. We're going to have Brandon Helwig on the uh, transfer portal, the addition of K.J. Jefferson to UCF. We'll also hear from Dick Fain. He covers Seattle, Washington. He's a, uh, a part of the same radio station as our good friend Softy Mahler, who probably today has quite the hangover. Uh, but he's, he was not available based on his – Travel, <coughs> getting back to Seattle is also on the air and also much, much more. But we'll have Dick Fain on Washington and the day after uh, their win last night in the uh, Sugar Bowl against Texas. Also today, Phil Bennett breaks down what he saw in why Alabama and Michigan went the way it did, what was going right or wrong there. And also Michael Penix, Washington against Texas in the defense and vice versa with UT's offense and what Washington did to try to keep the Huskies at uh, to try to keep the Longhorns at bay. I there was no doubt in my mind that that game was going to end up being a shootout score. No doubt. I think I may have said maybe 45-40. No question that was going to end up that way and it pretty much did. Uh yeah, it, I mean it came down to the final play of the game. I don't think you could have asked for anything more than that if you're just a casual observer or diehard college football fan. 
the only people that didn't want it to work out that way were Washington fans who just didn't want to be that nervous all the way through, and then obviously Texas fans. Uh, the way that it ended is not what you wanted, but, I mean, as far as drama goes, that was about as good as it got, and there were, you know, some moments there for Washington where they could have changed that, and then Dylan Johnson gets hurt, and they just mismanage the end of the game and give Texas an opportunity. I really thought Texas was going to go down and win the game. Sure. Uh, I think everybody in the building knew the ball was going to A.D. Mitchell, and, uh, you know, you can debate on – the throw, or I guess, I mean, it was just a great defensive play. It was a great play by Washington to end the game, and it even took kind of like a half a second for everybody to go like, did he catch it? Did it fall? You know, it's just kind of that holding your breath type of a moment, and um, a lot of anticipation and excitement and build up for that one big moment, and Washington made the play, and uh, they're now going to the national championship. But, no, I, I figured it was going to be a shootout. I think most people did, and, and that's in, in most ways what it turned out to be. It's just a really thrilling uh, back-and-forth type of game. Even though Washington was in command for the majority of the game, I felt like they were the better team overall throughout the game and that Texas was able to some you know fortunate uh, – mismanagement by Washington and just some bad luck and then also Texas itself making some plays uh, able to find themselves in a situation to try and win that bad boy and and that's all you can ask for and and they just weren't able to make the play Washington was all right when we come back Brandon Helwig on UCF and KJ Jefferson also today again Dick Fain on Washington moving into the championship game and throughout the next few days we will check in with Washington and Michigan and also everybody else as they move in to now what is getting themselves and their roster set up for the offseason and for 2024. This is 365 Sports. TexasBeefHouse.com shared uh, an email on a couple of text, a couple of emails yesterday with Aaron Duvall at TexasBeefHouse.com. They have, they have been phenomenal. They have been a great sponsor supporting this show, but they also, of course, we still have the one game left, the national championship game between Washington, Michigan, to find out who wins the bowl pick'em contest. And, yeah, I know there's a couple of quirks that we need to look at between now and also Monday. But what TexasBeefHouse.com also has is aged Wagyu beef. Aged beef is not typically available for the public and to the public because the added cost and time of doing that. Uh the Vall family's doing that. TexasBeefHouse.com, just outside of Tyler and White House, they have aged the entire beef, not just the choices cuts of steak, resulting in an improved texture, flavor for all beef. And some of you who watch us, in fact, a bunch of you who watch this show have ordered beef, have been on the online auctions. They've had a couple of them already, and they'll have another one and more throughout 2024. Their steak, their beef, their sausage, their brisket, their tri-tip, whatever you look for, is absolutely spectacular. Why do people love TexasBeefHouse.com? Try it. Go online. Order it. They have gift packs of gift packs available. Ask for Samantha Duvall, and she will help set you up at TexasBeefHouse.com. P 
pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick em, Bears! With so many companies and policies out there, it gets so confusing shopping for insurance, and I never know if I'm getting the policy that's right for me. Luckily, I met the team at the Niche Group Insurance Agency. With the Niche Group, you can go to one company and get access to coverage options from many insurance carriers, and you get to speak to a real person about your specific coverage needs. With the Niche Group, I know I'm getting the right coverage at the right price. If you need insurance, talk to the experts at the Niche Group at 1-800-258-8302. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be a part of the Waco community. We're a small family business right here in Central Texas, and our goal is to bring down the cost of health care while maintaining high quality. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important, and unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. That's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through the difficult time. We offer premium MRIs just like a hospital with state-of-the-art technology and specialists, but you'll pay less. Sometimes thousands of dollars less, whether you're using insurance or not. At Ideal MRI, we accept most insurance and there are no hidden costs. Even offering financing if that's needed, everything included in the price, and you'll not get something as a surprise in the mail later on. If you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. They'll know. You can schedule an appointment safely from home online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or give us a call, 833-IDEAL-MRI, IdealMRI.com. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness on Lakeshore Drive is a premier elite life-changing experience where you can change your mind, body, and soul. Offering over 50 group exercise classes every week, including boot camp, bar, silver sneakers, and 10 cycling classes with morning and evening classes available. New state-of-the-art bikes that allow you to compete against yourself with a screen monitoring your speed, miles, resistance, and power. Personal training with Christy London, Randall Corley, Alex Botts, and Nathan where you will be encouraged and motivated to grow, losing inches in weight the right way. There's a kids club included with your membership, plus sauna, whirlpool, and tanning bed. 16 tennis courts, plus a beautiful stadium court, and longtime youth tennis pro Britt Coleman and assistant junior pro Kenna. Adult tennis lessons and clinics with Blake, and the commitment to pickleball with eight courts and instructor Jody Thurman. Visit the website at wacotennis.com next to Hawaiian Falls on Lakeshore Drive in Waco. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Enjoying the show? Hit the like button and subscribe. Brandon Hellwick, UCFSports.com, covers the Knights. They had the nice news yesterday on K.J. Jefferson headed to go play for Gus Malzahn at UCF, and Brandon joins Craig and Paul. I'm David Smoke on 365 Sports. We'll touch a little bit on the transfer portal. We have Cam Ward to the NFL, Salter in the transfer portal, and, of course, DJU headed to Florida State. Brandon, was this uh, kind of something building? This was a surprise? Or, and, and how big of, the, uh, of a decision is this for Malzahn and, and UCF? 
No, it was it was building a little bit. It's it's one of those things that I think we've known throughout this entire month of December that UCF was going to look for an experienced portal quarterback. Uh, as you know, it's a very competitive market for the top quarterbacks. I think Matt Rule, Nebraska coach, uh, a few weeks ago or or late in the season, kind of you know set off a firestorm a little bit when he he was incredibly honest and candid. He said the top quarterbacks are going to oftentimes command a million dollars in NIL. So. You know, to get those top quarterbacks in the portal, it's definitely a real battle. Uh, but with UCF, you know, they were initially, they were targeting, you know, a few other guys. Because, um, you know, see, KJ Jefferson was a little bit of a later entry into the transfer portal. I think it's maybe in the week before Christmas uh, he actually entered. Uh, but they were talking with Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. He came on a visit. Uh, Tyler Shuck uh, from Texas Tech. Those guys opted to go elsewhere for whatever reason. Uh, Shuck went to Louisville and Grace McCall went to NC State. And then all of a sudden, K.J. Jefferson enters the portal. Um, God, was it December 17th, December 19th, something like that, in the week before Christmas? And, I mean, it just, you know, when you when you saw he's, he's from Arkansas, he's kind of the perfect, you know, mold of a quarterback that, you know, that guess falls on likes. It's the kind of perfect, you know, he can run, he can throw, kind of the body type. I mean, I, I feel like it gets thrown out a little bit too much. But, you know, those comparisons are always made to Cam Newton. They've always, you know, I was Gus's QB back in the day when he was the OC National Championship at Auburn. You know, obviously he's been compared to Cam Newton throughout his career. I got K.J. Jefferson. So when he got in the portal, it was one of those things where you knew UCF would be interested. It was just one of those things where who are what's, what's the competition going to be like? Can, can UCF? compete with whoever it is i think it was south carolina tcu miami all those schools were in the mix but uh he quickly became ucf's top target uh you know they were working hard to get it done and you know we weren't sure if it was going to happen this week i know this week's going to be crazy in terms of guys making their final decisions and all this stuff and for ucs one of those earlier semester schools their classes start next monday so they wanted to get something done as soon as possible and we kind of heard rumblings. Maybe it was going to happen soon. And yeah, the news came out. Yeah. Yesterday around noontime. And, you know, that was around the same time, you know, Cam Ward, a lot of people thought he might be going to Miami and, you know, he goes to the NFL draft and, and we all kind of wondering, was Miami going to move in on KJ Jefferson? I think Pete Thamel was putting that, putting that out there, but I guess we didn't have to worry about that because he, he officially committed, but it's big news, big news for UCF. That was really the, the top, you know, and they're going to need linebackers. That's the only portal position they need. But for, you know, looking at the offense and what they want to build for next next season, and a lot of the top players are coming back. With K.J. joining the Knights, I think they, they're on track right now to, to have, in my opinion, should be one of the better offenses in the Big 12 next season. So how much of the Cam Newton comparison that, uh, you know, that I know that it's not production-wise the same thing, but physically yeah. they're very uh, similar skill sets, uh, was the draw for K.J. Jefferson to play with Gus? Yeah, you know, it's, you know I think with, with K.J., if you go look at, at his, you know, five years at University of Arkansas, he was, he's been the starter since 21, was very productive. In 21 and 22, they had a different offensive coordinator, come in Dan Enos last year they kind of changed up what you know maybe what's better suited for him they kind of went to a different style his his production and he wasn't much of a runner this past season but I think with what Gus Malzahn likes to do look at Nick Marshall obviously Cam Newton gets thrown out there John Rice Plumlee just kind of that dual threat guy I think it's the perfect fit and it's gonna it's gonna be uh, interesting just to kind of see what the buzz is this next season in the state of Arkansas because, you know, there were rumors whether they were legitimate or not. You know, Sam Pittman, there was 
talk that, you know, was he going to get fired after this season? Was he on the hot seat? There were like message board rumors that, yeah, if they do fire him, Gus Malzahn may be a top candidate. Obviously, they decided to bring him back for another season. But it will be interesting if Arkansas say they're having, you know, a disappointing season in 24, and then all eyes are going to be on, you know, UCF down in Florida, and they've got Arkansas's quarterback. And if Gus Malzahn is having big-time success with Arkansas's former quarterback, that will be an interesting storyline uh, this upcoming season, potentially in the state of Arkansas. Brandon, I know that he didn't go completely uh, uninjured during his stint in Arkansas, missed some games here and there, but for the most part was pretty durable. How appealing was durability as a factor, especially given what Malzahn had in his hands at quarterback these last that last couple seasons? Yeah, that's been an issue with durability with John Rice Plumley just wasn't able to stay healthy, you know, taking hits and, you know, hamstrings and knees or, or what have you, just was always shoulders, was just always getting banged up. Um, you know, when I look at some of the, you know, the, everyone has, has, a, has good highlights, but when you, it's so it's impressive. He's a big guy. It's hard to bring him down. I think there's some clips that, you know, people post on Twitter and stuff or, you know, guys are trying to tackle him and he literally, they literally bounce right off of him. So he could, he could take a little bit more of a pounding maybe than a John Rice Plumley could. And, and uh, I know for, I knew this, this season was, you know, it was kind of disappointing obviously for, for the Ar- Arkansas fan base, but, you know, arguably they're, you know, their top win is they went down to the swamp in Gainesville and beat University of Florida. And uh, he's going to have the opportunity to beat Florida in the swamp in back-to-back years because UCF uh, has a road game in early October uh, this upcoming season at Florida. So that's a lot of the UCF fans are obviously watching his highlights from that game last year. And, you know, that'll, that'll, that'll be another interesting storyline as we look ahead to next season as KJ Jefferson gets another shot at the Florida Gators. What's next uh, after they've they've secured the quarterback? Yeah, you know, I think every program right now, I don't even, these coaches, I don't even think they really got to enjoy the holidays between portal and early signing day and bowl games. And now portal is, you know, it's still going on. You know, guys are, should be the last day, but you know, they're, you know, I think UCF's hosting visits beginning tomorrow. A lot of other schools are hosting visits this weekend. It just never stops. But, yeah, that's basically what UCF's going to be working on. They need linebackers. That is a massive need. You know, when you look at the defensive side, it wasn't the most talent-rich position anyway. And the guys, all the guys that played are graduating and leaving, so they got to get some guys there. And so that will definitely be the, the focus. It's just, it's just the, the timelines have kind of changed. We always used to talk about high school recruiting in January. Well, that's pretty much down. Now it's going to be – you know, portals basically dominates your month of December, and it's going to dominate the first half of January as well. So I know there, there's, there's, there's a few guys that they'll be adding, you know, probably in the next couple of weeks as far as the portal goes. Brandon, I know that all bowl games aren't just necessarily black and white. There's opt-outs, there's coaching changes, all sorts of different things. But what were your feelings? What's kind of the general uh, sentiment coming out of the Gasparilla Bowl? Obviously, a, a place and a game that UCF is very familiar with, but got out to that 14 nothing lead, and then Georgia Tech able to, to really put it on them after that. Um, you know, what was just kind of the feel with that loss to the Yellow Jackets and how it unfolded? Yeah. Yeah, it was just kind of disappointing. Um, you know, it's just that, you know, UCF couldn't finish the season with a win and finish with a winning record. Obviously, that loss puts him at six and seven. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, 14 to nothing. At, at one point, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, UCF's just moving the ball up, up and down the field like they're going to blow Georgia Tech out. This is going to be a blowout. That's what it felt like in that first quarter. They had an opportunity uh, to tie the, I think it could have gone up 21 to three, I think, uh, you know, one of the wide receivers could be heads and dropped a touchdown pass. And ever since that point, it kind of, 
everything went downhill. UCF's offense was completely stifled by Georgia Tech. Uh, Georgia Tech was just, you know, we know UCF had difficulty stopping the run. It was a theme the entire season in the Big 12. So it wasn't surprising what, you know, Georgia Tech's game plan was. It just was you know, kind of disappointing with a month off, and hopefully you thought guys were healthy. Because for the most part, UCF, you know, they didn't have any, any, any true opt-outs. I mean, you know, pretty much the, the main roster play, there was, a, you know, one of the starting corners was transferring. Uh, he committed to Louisville. Other than that, I mean, they had everybody playing. So it wasn't one of those situations like, you know, Florida State where you have most of your starting lineups not in there. So, it was, you know, it's disappointing just because, you know, you, you want to feel good going after, you know, ending a season with a win and, you know, beating a team like Georgia Tech. There was obviously mutual ties. You know, Georgia Leary, the former UCF coach and Georgia Tech coach, uh, Georgia Tech's head coach, Britt Key, was a longtime assistant coach at UCF for going on 10 years. For a long time, people thought he was eventually going to be the UCF head coach. After O'Leary, that was kind of the, the plan. There was sort of some unofficial head coach and waiting type plan back in the day. Obviously, that, that didn't come to fruition. Uh, you know, and when UCF kind of had the, the losing season or the, you know, didn't win a game in 2015, and that ultimately led to Scott Frost or what have you. But yeah, I was just kind of disappointed that it ended that way. But, you know, it's just kind of these little games. I, I don't know if, if fans really dwell on them. You know, I've heard the fan base is kind of down in the dumps for a couple of days, but then everyone's like, yeah, at least these bowl games, they maybe don't really mean, they don't really have the same impact of what they used to just because there's all these other other factors and whether our opt-outs are. But I, right now, I just, you know, everyone's excited about KJ Jefferson and, trying to map out, you know, we need, you know, we need to plug holes with portal guys here and there, but, you know, everyone's just kind of looking forward now, kind of turning the page to what next season is going to be like in year year two of the Big 12. Brandon, happy new year. Thanks for jumping on in the KJ Jefferson impact for UCF and Gus Malzahn. We'll talk to you again when spring drills and more start, which is probably for some two or three months away, if not in the next four to five months before everything, of course, hits the summer. I think Baylor's is going to be pretty early, as a matter of fact. Based on Dave Aranda saying we're going to get back to football as soon as we can. Yeah, and I wonder if that's just football discussion, IQ, and more. But the next time we have him on, which it may be, may be a couple months, I don't know, we'll ask him about that. But that was something he did say when he was in the studio with us. Uh, when we come back, we're going to hear from Dick Fain, KJR Radio in Seattle. What's it been like in Seattle? What a night for the Huskies holding off that throw in the end zone to A.D. Mitchell and Washington trying to win their first national title in, uh, what, 33 years or so when they had Steve Epman, Don James, and more. And this is 365 Sports. Pioneer Steel and Pipe opened their doors to the new facility back in December of 2022 and now well over a year as they start a new year. Yet another year since they began and opened their doors, the original store in 1943. Bigger, better, faster, and stronger. Carry new inventory as well as higher quantities of inventory in a much more organized fashion. And it was pretty good the way it was because that's how they survive with big, big box stores coming into Waco and opening up where they have more product and then they could also charge less for it. And then yet because Pioneer Steel and Pipe kept to their ways of customer service, their values, they continue to thrive. Location may have changed, but their values have not and they won't. In addition to standard long lengths and tubing angles, channels, rods, and flat they also carry several shorter, more convenient lengths of material already cut, which saves time for anyone who doesn't need or can't haul the long lengths. 
And, of course, their distribution bays are fantastic. A 2,500-square-foot new showroom. Uh, a 1,000 new products are in stock. You keep it. They have it. And, by the way, you keep going back because they have been in business for so long, since 1943. Bigger, better, faster, and stronger. Their location, Pioneer Steel and Pipe, just east of I-35 on Highway 6 and Loop 340 in Waco. Developed by Startup Waco, a nonprofit organization, GXG is a program designed to support the entrepreneurial development of Baylor University student-athletes through NIL activations. The program helps student-athletes maximize their platforms and offers a comprehensive support system for them to create and grow new businesses that not only benefit themselves, but also uplift the local economy. Fans who wish to support student-athletes can donate to GXG via the GXG NIL fund baylorbears.com slash gxg contributions to support nil activations through gxg can be made at baylorbears.com slash gxg for more information follow at gxg underscore green x gold on social media and visit the official website www.gxg.startupwaco.com gxg empowering student athlete entrepreneurship and uplifting the local economy through NIL activations. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDI see an equal housing lender. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Dick Bain, KJR, he and Softy host a show in Seattle. I don't know if Softy has been heard from or if he's even <laughs> in captivity. He might be in captivity where he doesn't want to be. Dick, hey, great to have you on the show. What's it been like in Seattle following the dramatic win to get to the national championship game for the Huskies? Well, this this team has just captivated the city, and you know, obviously, like it is down there. I mean, uh, the city is a bit split uh, between Cougar fans and Husky fans, but but primarily, it's a it's a Washington city, and this is just exactly what the Husky games have been really through for the last month and a half, guys. It's been the Huskies look like the better team. They get out to a lead, look like you know they're one or two plays from you know, busting open a game and maybe winning comfortably by 14 or 17 points. 
but then they don't make the play to bust open the game. I mean, Texas did a great job of holding them to two consecutive field goals, whereas if you just get one of those as touchdowns, it really looks different at the end. And then the Huskies do something, you know, silly like they did last night in giving Dylan Johnson the ball on all those plays instead of just having Pennick take a snap and take a couple seconds off the ball and kneel down and force Texas to go the length of the field in 12 seconds. And, you know, the Huskies do something silly. They get their running back injured and hand it to Texas. They did a hell of a job going almost the whole way to get the game-winning touchdown. And we were just in panic mode there for the last 45 seconds of that game. So what were the thoughts on – I mean, Kalen DeBoer's done a fantastic job, and he's coach, coach of the year for a reason. But the decisions that he made down that stretch to maybe not respect the clock as much as he should have. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you've heard the old the old shark line, all, you know, all gas, no breaks, right? Well, that's, that's kind of what Ryan Grubb, the, the Huskies offensive coordinator, I mean, he lives by that mantra as well. I mean, he went for it on his own 33-yard line and with four minutes left to go in the first half, and they got that. I mean, hell, he went for it in a tie football game against Washington State on his own 29 with two minutes left to go in the game. He went for it on fourth down in his own 29. I just, it's, it's just how Ryan Grubb operates. I mean, he's running double reverse flea flickers in the fourth quarter against Texas. And, you know, that's just – he is going to live by the sword and he's going to die by the sword. And fortunately for Washington, he's lived by it every single game. Dick, how does this feel different than the first playoff run? Oh, God, this is, I mean, the 2016, that was a just, just glad to be their football team. I mean, it was a good football team, but God bless Jake Browning and what he's doing for the Cincinnati Bengals right now. He ain't mm-hmm. no Michael Pettis. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, and that, and the, I think the, the only part of the 2016 team that was better was the defense was better in the back end, clearly. I mean, you had you had NFL players left and right. You had Buda Baker. You had, you know, Sidney Jones. You had Kevin King. I mean, you had guys that they're playing a lot in the, in the NFL over the last five or six years. But this team, we knew a combination of this team being elite and then the fact that the rest of college football did not appear like it had a juggernaut football team. There was no 2022 Georgia out there to worry about. It was Washington and four or five other teams that were all about as good as Washington. And Texas was one of them, and Michigan was one of them, and Alabama and Georgia were were two other ones, and those were really your five. And Oregon was another one. I mean, Oregon was every bit as good as Washington this year. Washington just found a way to win both of those games, uh, you know. And, And so we thought that this team had a chance to win the national championship. There was no prayer that 2016 team was getting by uh, Jalen Hurts and Alabama in that uh, semifinal. You know, Dick, it's interesting because you get a team of uh, some of the Blue Bloods, and Washington's got a great tradition in football, but to get there and then win it, and sometimes it's hard to get back up again, and they turn around and play next win- uh, Monday against Michigan. It has seemed like when I listened to audio or heard or saw some of the post game, everybody understood that this is not over. And is that an that is an experienced kind of a five and six year senior laden type team as well? Yeah. The really veteran team guys, and that and that's well put. I mean, Michael Penix was even asked by Molly McGrath after the game, "Was this year 
is this your best performance ever at Washington? He said, no, we got one more. I mean, he was, there was no real celebrating after that game last night. I mean, there was no sense of we just accomplished something. There, there was, okay, this was the necessary step to get through to accomplish what we want to accomplish, and that's a national championship. That is the reason Michael Penix – Michael Penix, we came back in August. He was like, I came back to win a national title. And we were kind of like all, okay, we love the goal. You're going to be one of the top two or three teams in the Pac-12, but to get all the way to the national championship, you know, that you, you might be biting off a little more than you can chew. And Michael Penix proved all of us wrong. I mean, hell, I thought they'd lose at USC. You know, when, when the season started, I thought, I thought they'd probably have two losses. I thought they'd lose at USC and they'd lose – They'd find another game that they would trip and fall, and they may be able to make it into the Pac-12 championship game. And if they could, then I think, you know, then I thought maybe a one-loss team could potentially make the Final Four. But this has been, uh, this has just been a magical, magical year. And it's not like they're just falling into these wins, guys. They are earning these wins. They are grabbing these wins, and and they are so freaking battle-tested in one possession game. This is nine straight games. They've won by one score. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable, and we wanted to get into this type of game. In fact, I mean, through three quarters, it was way easier than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I, I, I thought this was going to be a one-score game. I thought it would finish the way it did, but after three quarters, I don't think anybody thought this was going to come down to the last play of the game. Washington looked like they were walking away from this thing after three quarters, but hey, it's the Texas. They didn't let that happen. What is the thing that separates the connection from Michael Penix and Roma Dunze from kind of your normal, even great quarterback wide receiver duos. They, they seem like they share a consciousness. They do share a consciousness. And, and you saw, I thought for the most part, I thought the Texas DBs did a hell of a job. I mean, there was a the one play at the end where there was the pass interference where, you know, Rome just, beat the guy bad and that would have been a touchdown had it not been in passing interference but for the most part I mean Penix was having to throw dimes 40 yards down the field to wide receivers that do such a good job of not letting the DB know that the ball is there have you noticed that I mean Jalen Polk Roma Dunze they just are running their routes and they just barely peek over their shoulder get their hands up and the ball is just handed to them and that's almost impossible. Like, what are you supposed to do if you're a Texas corner in those situations? I mean, they had a blanket it. And Penix is just throwing surgical strikes on the money. It's just, and that's just working together for two full years with these guys. Dick, any early thoughts on Michigan? Any uh, first impressions that you've, you've gleaned from uh, this upcoming matchup next Monday? Yeah, I mean, Michigan has always been the team that uh, of the four or of the three other uh, teams in the Final Four that scared me the most just because of their ability to consistently run the ball and stop the run. And, you know, I think the access, the accessibility of Dylan Johnson to play is going to be huge for Washington. Uh, it could potentially be a game break, you know, a game snatching type injury if he's not able to go because Washington really doesn't have another option there. Remember, Cam Davis was their starting running back going into the season, and he got injured in camp. And so Dylan Johnson 
came on to be the guy, and we never thought Dylan Johnson would have the type of year that he has had. And he has been a bell cow and sets everything up in that passing game with what he does on the ground. And it's not like he shredded Texas on the ground yesterday, but he did just enough, right? He made the big run. Yep. He converted to those two early touchdowns. He did just enough where Michael Penix could uh, could do his damage through the air. I the, thought the Mississippi yeah, yeah, is going to come after Penix in that championship game, and that offensive line, which was great yesterday, protecting Penix, is going to have to do it again against Michigan. Yeah, but it, it'll be interesting. It's kind of a two different type styles, which is great. Uh, I, I just, Penix was brilliant. The, the zone read. I thought there were a few times he could have pulled it away from Johnson and walked into the end zone from 15 or 20 yards out. Jalen Polk is a Texas kid from Lufkin High School. He had a heck of yeah. a game, that big, long catch and run. Uh, the, the complimentary type receivers that was brought up earlier to you, a kind of a nice surprise, and, and what a career he's had with the Huskies there up in Seattle. Yeah, we call him Big Play JP up here because he just has a knack, right? He just has a knack for making those huge catches down the sidelines. Uh, you know, the just just phenomenal addition. And it's it really with the injury to Jalen McMillan this year, Polk has stepped up and has been an all Pac-12 wide receiver. And now you get McMillan back, and then and what do you do, right? What do you do when you're on defense when you're facing three NFL wide receivers? And that's what Washington has. They have three NFL wide receivers out there. And who knows? I mean, Jeremy, Berma- Jeremy Bernard might be an NFL wide receiver as well. He had some nice plays despite having the, the biggest bonehead play of the game, which just swung the momentum back in the favor of Texas with that uh, with that fumbled punt. But uh, Jalen Polk is going to be missed here in Seattle if he decides to go to the NFL. We're hoping that, uh, hey, maybe we can come back for one year. Let's see if that NIL can find him, uh, you know, high six figures and we can get him to, uh, to stick around in Seattle for one more year. All right, uh, Dick Fain, KJR Radio in Seattle with us on 365 Sports. Craig, one more. Dick, I know it's, it's all, you know, about the national championship and all that, but how much talk has there been about this being the, the last bastion of the Pac-12 and now this is really a, a Big Ten national championship uh, as far as starting next year goes? Has there been any talk about just this final run in the Pac, bittersweet? Uh, is it just all eyes on the Big Ten? How would you describe that? Well, I think it depends on if you're a, a Husky or a Cougar. I think Husky fans are excited for the future, and they realize that the Pac-12 did this to themselves with absolutely horrific commissioner work over the last, really, the last 25 years, dating all the way back to Tom Hansen. Um, this, this conference could not market itself to, to save its butt and was not able to save its butt. And so Husky fans are like, hey, it, yeah, we like the – we like the tradition of the Pac-12, but we're ready to move on because we feel like we belong in a big-time conference. And let's face it, you know Texas is going the SEC. If you're not part of the SEC or the Big Ten, you're going to be left behind in college football. And I think Husky fans realize that. And Cougar fans, it's more, that, for them, it's more like, man, can we just salvage a Pac-12 and make it uh, you know somewhat relevant where we could potentially have a chance if we won that conference to go to the uh, – to go to the, the, the final 12 in the future. But yeah, it's sad to see the Pac-12 go, but it's the direction that college football is going in. And if you're not a member of the big two, then, you know, forget about it. Just look at look at all the teams that would have been in the final 12 this year. Well, we'd have had one, right? Florida State would have been the one non-SEC or Pac or a Big Ten team that would have finished in the top 12 in the standings. Yeah, as far as you're looking forward to 2024, I think you're right. I, I believe right. you're right. Yeah. Dick, thank you very much. Um, is Softy landed back in town? 
Yeah, he's landed. We're uh, we're gonna get we're gonna hit the air here in about thirty minutes, and uh, he's working on zero sleep in about the last thirty hours. But uh, you know him; he's got oh, enough adrenaline to handle. You guys do an incredible job with what you do at KJR. Love to have you on, Dick. Thank you very much for your time. Enjoy it. We'll talk again soon. Washington in the championship game after the win against Texas in the Sugar Bowl, Michigan in the overtime victory against Alabama. Which of those two games for the losing team was the most painful? Texas, uh, yeah. in my opinion, but maybe I just because I, you know, just automatically my brain goes to them because we cover them more, I suppose. But I mean, Alabama's was brutal as well. Let's yeah. not let's not act like theirs wasn't brutal. We just haven't talked about that game as much. But yeah, I think Texas coming down to the final play, and then Jalen Milrow coming down to the final play. I mean, it's it's similar, but I don't know. I, I just felt like with Texas, it felt like they were going to win that game because Washington had kept the door open, whereas with Alabama and Michigan, it kind of felt like, I don't know, I, I didn't feel as much of the, oh, my God, if Alabama wins this game, like it's the craziest thing ever, whereas if Texas won that game, I would have thought, like, wow, that's the craziest win. Like, how did they come up with that win? And I wouldn't have felt that way had Alabama won the game. Does that make sense? So, for that reason, I say Texas. I, I think that um, the, the Texas loss, had it just been 40-31, Something like that. And Washington, pretty much for the most part, even though Texas kept coming back to tie the game, controlled that game. Oh, yeah. The game so, with Michigan-Alabama was two different halves. Michigan was very good in the first half. Alabama turned the screws in the second half. And, uh, but uh, I, both great games. It was, well, uh, but I, I would think for Texas to be that close and to almost be hand-delivered some stuff. It was a tease. And, it was a yeah, huge tease. And then that. you're down at the 13 or 12 or 20, whatever it is, and you can't get in four times. That was interesting. Well, and, you know, Alabama ultimately, of course, they've done this so much. So I know that the, for these individual players, it's probably the worst thing that's ever happened their whole life, you know. But for the program, it's probably not that big of a deal, right? Because you, you've done it so many times and you know that you'll, I mean, you know that you have a mulligan. You can just back there pretty much anytime you want. So that's not maybe as, as big of a deal as some of the other things. But I, I do think that... Um, Alabama was undone. They finally ran up against a team, and they played two of them, that made them pay for their mistakes. Texas made them pay for their mistakes, and Michigan made them pay for their mistakes. The other good teams that they played this year, and they played a lot of them, it didn't make them pay for it, and they played their best game against Georgia where they didn't make quite as many. So uh, that one's not as bad, but Texas, because it's been so long since they've been in this position of relevance, uh, not only just but relevance, but but elite level play. Yeah, that was just, if you thought, oh my gosh, they're actually going to do this because everything had went their way in the last minute 45, well, you know, to get that close and then to have a pass to your number one, the wide receiver you'd want to throw it to and not, not get it done, that one just stings a lot. Yeah, the guy who's made pretty much every big catch for you this year in situations like that, um, that's that's where I would have gone. That's where everybody knew they were going, and that's where they still should have gone. Even if there would have been three Washington defensive backs draped over A.D. Mitchell, that's still the, the guy that you go to in that situation. But, yeah, it was just a great play and uh, a great finish. But I, I do think for Texas it was more of your hopes getting up there when – um, you know, with Alabama and Michigan, it was just a little bit more even throughout. And, and Texas just felt like they were kind of lucky to be in that position by the end of it. And not only l 
be in that position, but be in a position to win it and then to have it come down to that final play um, and, and the ball getting knocked away, I, I do feel like it's just a little bit more of a heartbreaker for them. But, hey, uh, no SEC in the national championship game for the first time in a while is certainly interesting, as he pointed eight out, though. Eight years. Yeah, it's a long time, eight years. Uh, but as he pointed out, you know, in the future, what that could look like, um, I mean, I understand where he's coming from. I don't think it's going to be if you're not in those two leagues and you're just irrelevant. Uh, not that he said that, but I think that's kind of what a lot of people infer. I don't agree with that. I, I don't think it's going to be that drastic, um, but we can see how it, it goes over time. I do think, though, to just assume that Texas is just going to be back there is kind of silly as well. Like, look, there can be you – can, you can believe that it's going to be an all-SEC, all-Big Ten world here in the very near future. I mean, in many ways it already is, and in more ways it will be. Um, but it doesn't make sense to eliminate, you know, all these other the programs from the from the conversation. Um, but as much as it may be that in a twelve team playoff, okay, you're getting four teams in. Are you guaranteed to get over Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, Tennessee, LSU, Florida? I mean, on any given year, yeah, you might be one of the better teams in the country. You still have to be amongst like the top five ish in your conference, and I think that most years Texas will be that, but not every year. Yeah. And so the last time they were in this position was two thousand and nine. Nine. And we know what happened there and how long it took them to get back. It's been nearly fifteen years. So for all the yeah, it's going in the right direction. I think there's also a part of that last night where you're like. Damn, that was a huge missed opportunity. Mm. Like, dang, that was a major, major victory snatched away um, that was there for the taking. And sure, everything is going well in recruiting and NIL and Sark's the man. And you've got your most sturdy head coach since Mac Brown. And everything looks great. But at the same time, we don't know what that new playoff's going to look like. And... Um, we don't know what the new SEC is going to look like or the, the rest of the landscape. And so, yeah, when you get those opportunities, man, you gotta you got to hammer them home. And so for Texas, you just hope it doesn't take another 15 there, years to get there. There's always been one or two teams each year in the Big 12 that you could always say, like Oklahoma for years after years, and then different teams joined them making a run at the Big 12, but OU won a lot of them. The thing about the SEC is, as you walk in the door – and I think that they're in a lot better shape now than they were a year ago at this time, and even two years ago when all hell broke loose. But there are the other schools in that middle of the pack that will make a jump. And you've got to be careful. You get caught in the elevator shaft, and all Ole of Miss. a sudden, if yeah. you lose a game or two just because it's a tough conference, because the Big 12 has been pretty good in the middle. They have teams that jump up out of nowhere to, to get themselves in position. And if you do that in the Big 12, you're going to do that, obviously, with multi, more teams out of the SEC. Yeah, and like I'll just throw this in. I know that the you know historically Texas has owned the rivalry, but you're also, uh, both of them, but you're also putting in, and it's not going to be every year with Arkansas, but you're also putting in two old rivals that you know are going to love beating you if you're Texas. You know, you're... Um, you know, Oklahoma uh, is is going away from most of their rivalries. They're still keeping the, the major one, but they're also now, they're a big bad wolf in a room of big bad wolves. You know, and so Georgia is not as intimidated by Oklahoma as, say, Kansas would have been intimidated by Oklahoma. Those things aren't going to happen. So, yeah, it's going to be different. But the whole way that we look at seasons is going to change, too. So yeah. everything is changing. The whole way that we judge seasons, the whole – like, you, know, you can even see it. The, the, bowl, the bowl season is a microcosm of that. Like, you can't – used to, you'd be like, man, that was a really huge bowl win for a, a young team that's, that's going into next year. Now it's like, well, you know, the other team – 
didn't even like nobody came to the yeah. game. So yeah, it's, look, it's different. So you have to look at it, everything differently. You have teams that get they get on a momentum. They're trying to build, and they get to a bowl game, win or not. And, and it, it's just because of the extra practices. Now it just seemed like that's okay because there's so many of them. And I, I, I don't know from year to year. You're right. Because yeah, there's nothing. I want to say one more thing about it. I've seen this from a few of the national brand names about the Rose Bowl. It was a great setting. It's a great game. It's a great finish. Two incredible high-level alpha dog blue blood programs. But that stadium needs to get fixed. Uh, I, I've said, well, they should play every national championship game at the Rose Bowl. It is an amazing tradition. But I that stadium needs some sort of, uh, 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 I don't know, help. Because it looks to me like, like it upgrade? is antiquated. Yes. Yeah. It, don't change the bowl. Because there's 100-plus thousand people there. But there's a lot of things about the press box or whatever that does need to be fixed because it's become kind of antiquated. Yeah, no, I agree. And look, the uh, of course the Rose Bowl would love that because then they could have their parade and everything. But uh, I think I think that um, I like the way they're doing it now, rotating it through. We're going to see the game in Houston next week. Uh, Houston's great at hosting things. We've been to several events in Houston. You know, they're great at hosting things. They're going to be great hosts for Michigan and Washington fans. So yeah, part of it is yeah, give give other people experience. I know that there's some you know, sentimentality towards the Rose Bowl and stadiums like that. But but also, you know, I think if you ask the players, like, where would you rather play in L.A., they'd probably pick SoFi over the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I've never been to the venue, so I, I can't speak to what improvements it needs or, or any of that. I know many people who have been enchanted uh, and, and really romanticized the, the setting. A lot of them were at that national championship game with Texas and USC, and I think that that even trumpets it up a little bit more. But you hear – granddaddy of them all and the sunsets and all that good stuff and you know i'm sure for big 10 and pac 12 fans in particular it, it has even more meaning uh or even a texas fan or others who have just found their way into that game over the years but um i don't for one second believe that it should be the national championship game every single year um you can you can go somewhere else with that maybe you can do that in your new super league that can be the the national championship game every year uh for all the folks that are trying to push that you can also push the rose bowl as the the one venue one-stop shop for national titles but no i think there's other great facilities and there's other parts of the country out there um and there are you know a lot of other people who want to see other uh events at other places so yeah i i get the romanticizing of it i do think it goes a little bit over the top though around this time every single year um so you know it'll have its place but it doesn't need to be above and beyond the others and that's kind of the attitude that got it into a little bit of a of a weird pickle just with its kickoff times and anything mm-hmm. to begin with so um, yeah, I, I get it to some extent, but I think sometimes they can go a little overboard with the, the lovey-dovey Rose Bowl stuff. Garrett, do you have a <coughs> – excuse me, I'm having a cough today. Do you have a picture of the pavilion, the Foster Pavilion? Yeah, here we go. Uh, tonight, Baylor will launch their brand-new uh, facility. It'll be playing Cornell tonight. Go ahead. Is that on your off-the-radar? Okay. All right, sorry about that. No, go ahead. And uh, that game starts off a little after 7 o'clock tonight. Jack will be there. Cole will be there, among others, will be there at the new facility that opens up about a mile or so, maybe less than that from where we are on the Brazos River. All right, uh, when we come back, Craig, and off the radar, which I just took one of his deals, but he could still talk about it if you want. And this is 365 Sports. Richard Carr, Buick GMC Cadillac, they are the people that you can count on. They're the people that I've counted on. And Thousands of people have counted on over the years. They've been in business for over 20 years here in Central Texas, and 
Richard Carr is a first-class man with a first-class dealership, and they've got first-class deals for you right now. The Christmas break is over with, but there's still, uh, and New Year's, I guess, as well, but there's still plenty of traveling going on, and if you're on the roads, whether it be just getting back to work or going and seeing some more family, uh, it's still a very special time, and you want to make safety your first priority, especially if you're traveling around with family. So whether you need a new SUV to travel with the, the, the fam or friends or just service on your existing car or truck, Richard Carr is here to give you the best deals and the best service during the holidays, but also all year long when it comes to new models. Let's talk about the power and strength and stunning interior of the GMC Sierra, a truck that has it all, and they have dozens in stock ready to go right now. Save thousands in holiday savings on cars and trucks right now at Richard Carr. That includes qualified buyers saving $8,000 K, $8, on a GMC Sierra twin turbo elevation model. Also, military and first responders can save an additional $500 as well. You can contact the dealership for more on restrictions and more of the details, but you can contact them through the website, over the phone, or, of course, in person. They also trade for the best, so if you're not looking to get into a new vehicle, they also have a lot full of quality pre-owned cars and trucks in stock to check out as well. Over 90 used cars and trucks to choose from, all of them inspected with a 172-point inspection and the Richard Carr seal of approval, the financing goal at Richard Carr, always 100% credit approval as they say yes when others say no. So check out the dealership that's been uh, there for the people of Central Texas all throughout those 24 years and has built a reputation as the people you can count on for your automotive needs run by proud Central Texans and proud Baylor Bears. Log on to richardcarr.com today. Call now or go see them now off Highway 6 at the Imperial Exit. Developed by Startup Waco, a nonprofit organization, GXG is a program designed to support the entrepreneurial development of Baylor University student-athletes through NIL activations. The program helps student-athletes maximize their platforms and offers a comprehensive support system for them to create and grow new businesses that not only benefit themselves, but also uplift the local economy. Fans who wish to support student-athletes can donate to GXG via the GXG NIL fund baylorbears.com slash gxg contributions to support nil activations through gxg can be made at baylorbears.com slash gxg for more information follow at gxg underscore green x gold on social media and visit the official website www.gxg.startupwaco.com gxg empowering student athlete entrepreneurship and uplifting the local economy through NIL activations. Petty Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men an exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovi. Semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help us finally here. Semaglutide, affordable, highly effective. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to pettycliniclowt.com. 
Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. This is Craig Smokes Off the Radar, presented by Alliance Bank. They take pride in making banking easy, AllianceBankTexas.com. All right, welcome to Off the Radar here on 365 Sports. Been a little while since we've done this, but I look at various stories around the sports world that we otherwise don't really get to or we don't get to spend very much time on, so it'll be a sprinkling of things, and sometimes it will be college football, but there's no no more games. There's one more game, just uh, no more games to, to kind of take us into next Monday night's national championship game. It'll be number one Michigan, number two Washington, 630 on ESPN from NRG Stadium next Monday. And I, I wanted to ask you guys because we haven't got around to it, but do you feel like this is a good versus evil? Did you feel weird seeing Michigan celebrating? And yeah. did you feel weird seeing people celebrating Michigan? Did that ever come across your radar at all? I just wonder because the whole fiasco at the beginning of the year, Harbaugh suspension, all these different things just went away, basically. They just kind of went away yeah. in the second half of the season. And I don't know if that's because of legally well, they needed to. Well, he or served his time. He did. He did. Uh, but they, they found a way to win despite it. They did. It was a great win. So they, they went on about their business, and he came back, and they've continued to go on about their business. But I just wonder if you're going to view this as, like, the purity of Washington and good versus evil. Uh, do you have any bone to pick with Michigan? How do you just feel about the fact that the Wolverines had those issues and are now in this national title game? I'm just curious. I don't have a strong feeling towards it. It makes me feel a little weird about it, but at the same time, as you said, Harbaugh served his suspension. There's nothing else to go off of. So There were also a lot of gaps between when they last played, been almost a month since they won the Big Ten championship game. I don't, I don't, I, I'll tell you what, that's a resilient as hell team. Yeah. Uh, with all the distractions that could have eaten a lot of people alive, you can like or not like Jim Harbaugh, but I, I haven't thought that much about good versus evil. I, I want Washington to win. I'd love to see Washington win. I kind of like their team, but as far as it will it ruin my night if Harbaugh and Michigan win, no. Yeah, I mean, that's not a news story. That's just something more or less I was curious about. I mean, for you, Paul, is it? do you have any like ill hey, will towards I, Michigan? And good I, versus evil, I'm, I, I'm just saying that as like I, kind of positioning it, but that's not how I feel necessarily. Here's the thing. I don't... I'm apoplectic about Jim Harbaugh. Okay. Uh, I What I don't like about it is that Jim Harbaugh would have, and it's not just this rule, like he would have like thumbed his nose at all these rules. And there's no consequence for him, but there are going to be consequences for Michigan in the future because he'll not have a consequence. Because if if it comes down to, he might be the coach of the Chargers in, in three weeks. Like that, that. That very well could be the case. So if he's the coach of the Chargers, all this stuff's going to come down to Michigan and the players that are there or whatever's going to happen. And Jim Harbaugh's going to make the same amount of money he makes at Michigan or maybe more uh, in, in L.A. coaching for the Chargers. So, you know, that's the thing I don't like about it. I just, I would rather, like, I would rather a team that's not been accused of what they've been accused right, of yeah. be in this position because it won't make you feel as icky. But, eh, you know, Whatever, it's not I, the, end I of the world. Yeah. The, the the biggest thing I don't like about Harbaugh is the way that 
he's he's got the John Calipari, no, you're the a-hole for asking kind of vibe about him. Yes, That's what so. I don't like. Every sport at every level does. Yeah, every and like there's there are coaches That's you just aren't his like, personality. Yeah. He is who like, he is. Kalen DeBoer's not like that. No. But he is, and I don't I don't care for that. Like, look, you can answer the question however you want to, but don't be mad because it has to be asked. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm the idiot for even asking you a question. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that's just uh, something I was curious about because that was such a big deal weeks ago, and it's been a little while, and they've gone about their business, as I mentioned. So, uh, Washington and Michigan next Monday night in the college football playoff national championship game. Uh, There was some... NFL action while we were away, quite a bit of it, a couple weekends worth, and that included there towards the tail end, a massive win for the Cowboys over the Detroit Lions. Uh, What a win for Dallas, although not without some controversy, of course, as the Lions, what was thought to be game-winning two-point conversion, got called back because Taylor Decker, their offensive lineman, allegedly did not report that he was eligible uh, during that play, although there is video evidence that very clearly shows him going to the referee and basically checking into the ball game as he was supposed to. Uh, so what should have been a big touchdown and a big moment for the Lions and a huge win, Jared Goff hitting Taylor Decker ended up getting called back. And as we know, the Cowboys go on to win that game. Um, just uh, in, learn from Adam Schefter that uh, the, the, the crew, the refereeing crew that's a part of that, are getting downgraded for the postseason, not going to be as involved as they might otherwise be because they've had a couple of moments this season, including most recently with that Cowboys game, but also Week 13 with the Chiefs and Packers. Uh, That same crew, part of some controversy there. And so Adam Schefter reporting this past weekend that that crew, manned by Brad Allen as a referee, will not be officiating in the postseason. They're going to get downgraded. Um, So there you go. There's a little follow-up on that. I thought there might be much more to do with like just the controversy of that but it seems like it's kind of fading pretty quickly i i think it's because dan campbell like he knows what he how he messed it up because they were given another opportunity right like the cowboys handed it right back to them after that and they still when the from the same spot they were in the field didn't execute the play right and not only that uh, David Hellman, I heard him say this on his podcast the other day, uh, we've had on the show was a long time, uh, you know, every week guest. Uh, he said, look, they heard the official announce the wrong number. They heard him say number 70 and didn't do anything about that. And they had time to do it. They're like, hey, whoa, whoa, it's not 70, it's 68. They didn't do anything about it. And plus, they committed three other penalties on that same play. They just picked the wrong one that they committed. And... You know, I like, but that crew does, you know, probably need to get a little better. Yeah, I think it'd be fair to say you have a couple of different incidents where you are clearly not doing your job correctly. That is enough to get you demoted or what have you. The right phrase for that would be. But yeah, according to Adam Schefter, that crew getting downgraded for the postseason after a couple of big uh, screw-ups, including most recently with the Cowboys and the Lions. Although there's still a lot of, well, he didn't do this and it was that and it was this. and It was just a whole big mess. But in the end, it was a great win for the Cowboys. And y'all's thoughts on seeing Dallas get a big win over a team like Detroit that's right there uh, in the mix of the, the best teams in the league. Yeah, that they that that's the number two seed. That means you get the host, you get a bye, and then you get to host somebody. Um, you might be able to even host the game, depending on what happens with San Francisco. Well, they uh, they're going to if 
They beat Washington this week, which it would be terrible if Washington won the game. They're about to have the second pick in the draft. They can get yep. either Caleb Williams or Drake May. Which means they'll screw it up. They're guaranteed to get one of those guys. If they if they don't win this game, if the Cowboys win, they're going to get at least, and if should they win the playoff game, they'll get a second playoff game at home before they would have to go to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So this worked out well for them uh, that the Eagles uh, can't get out of their own way. Philadelphia's a shell of themselves. They, there's something different than just they're not playing well. There's something in between the ears of those guys in the locker room. There's just something that's not there. Sometimes you can click. You remember uh, there's teams that have mm-hmm. gone into the playoffs before, not played well. Some have been red hot. But Dallas, uh, it, it reminded me, and it's so weird, and I believe it was 95. It was the year they won their last Super Bowl. And they kind of had some uh, issues. You know, Switzer's second year. They had some uh, – there were a few like racial overtones in the locker room. There was a lot of infighting and they went on a, I think it was a Sunday or Monday night game. They flew out to perhaps Arizona. Somebody could have won earlier in the day and the Cowboys would have been on the road. Somebody lost the Cowboys go on the road and win. It kind of reminded me of that, the way they won that game for a chance to now host, at least as you said, Paul won and possibly two games in the postseason where they're undefeated. They're eight. No. Yeah. Well, that brought in a big audience, 25.66 million viewers for Saturday night's NFL Monday night football broadcast, obviously with the Christmas weekend and how all that worked out date wise. So playing on Saturday night, massive, massive audience, 25.6 million don't have the Ratings from last night's or yesterday's playoff games. Very curious to see when those come in and, and what those end up looking like. But, man, 25.6. It will not come close to that. I can guarantee no. you that. And there's been a couple of bowl games that have posted really well. For example, Cotton Bowl, most watched New Year's Six primetime game uh, since 2016. And you know how sometimes they kind of like flub some of these graphics with like the most this, and there's like a caveat to it. But Ohio State and Missouri pulling in point. Six million viewers uh, for that contest. You also had a uh, big number as well for Georgia and Florida State, despite the fact that it was a 60-point blowout of epic proportions and not at all what people were hoping to see out of that game, but over 10 million viewers uh, tuned in for Georgia and Florida State as well. And we haven't really unpacked it, Paul, but uh, just kind of how was your... Your viewing for that game, Georgia well, and Florida State. Uh, I was traveling back from Nashville, so I saw the first half in the airport. And then the second half, uh, I did not see, even <coughs> though I could have watched it on the plane, uh, because I don't like punishment that much. And look, they had 53 scholarship players available. But the committee told them their season didn't matter to the point that they did. I mean, they, I don't. Like, I can't begrudge them for anything that happened. It sucks. I wish that more players had stayed. You know, Georgia's opt-outs, and they had, I guess, Brock Bowers didn't play in the game, but Ladd McConkey did. Carson Beck did. Dominic Lovett did. I mean, they had most of their starters playing in the game. So it wasn't a surprise uh, that they – that they that happened, especially given the amount of, especially on on defense, not even Brock Glenn, but on defense, that what they were having to deal with with guys opting out, and then some injuries as well of guys who would have played in the game had they been healthy. Fifty three scholarship players, you're not winning a game with like that's, I think that's seven above the COVID threshold of a few years ago. Been, yeah. So like they like if they had COVID a couple of years ago, Bill was like, "All right, we're going to play, but you know, we'll see." So, yeah, that's exactly what they I think he had 45 or something, 46 to 
to have a COVID roster and and play in a game. So, yeah, they were barely over that for this game. Well, you got the Cowboys win, so there was at least that. Yeah, and and they, I did. Got, they got monster numbers, $25 million, But, yeah, uh, still $10-plus million for Florida State-Georgia despite the fact that it was such a blowout game. So that's uh, pretty impressive. And that's also, I think, what you're looking at when you hear a lot of this realignment talk and you hear about the playoffs and the SEC and the Big Ten. You see how many of those matchups were SEC Big Ten matchups? There was like eight, nine games that were SEC Big Ten matchups in the the last couple of uh, days of the bowl games. It was very interesting kind of how that shook out, whether intentionally or not, but a little bit of a preview of maybe what people feel is uh, to come with the expanded playoff moving forward. So Paul had a little bit of an up-and-down weekend, uh, as you uh, see there with the uh, Cowboys and then also with Florida State. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of Florida State, I don't know if you got to catch uh, Jim Phillips uh, doing a little TV spot there uh, during the Orange Bowl. He was on the pregame panel, and he was asked about Florida State filing a lawsuit against the ACC. Um, and he said, well, it's a legal case now, and I stand by every word that myself and President Jim Ryan at Virginia, who's the chair of the ACC board, indicated we're incredibly disappointed, and we feel very strongly about a document that was signed by one of our members, willingly signed by one of our members back in 13 and in 16, and we're ready to fight, and we will go through this in a reasonable way, but we will protect the ACC, we'll let the legal system take its course, and we'll walk through it together, and we'll get to a finish line wherever that is. So, you know, can't obviously say this is how we're going. You know, uh, it, it's up to the courts now, like he said, but he, he let it be known. Yeah, the ACC is not going to back down, and they feel strongly about their grant of rights, and so let the battles continue on. But uh, that was something, obviously, that was full speed ahead when we went into Christmas break. A lot of talk about that. And now on the other end, not much has changed other no. than just everybody uh, preparing for war, basically. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how they – okay, are you going to – yeah, you know, they've they've got dueling lawsuits. You know, the ACC filed one in in their hometown. Tennessee, Florida yeah. State, you know, filed one in their hometown. So you're going to see how those are going to work out. And is the argument going to be? I think in Florida, it appears that the case is going to be well. This contract restricts our opportunity for free trade, uh, and therefore is invalid under for, Florida law. Um, and I do think this is just going to wind up in a settlement because neither of these two sides are going to want a lot of this discovery out there. Like on Florida State side, you know, I don't know what they would find. It's going to be something that's going to be probably potentially damning and embarrassing about when they signed the contract in 2016. And then on the ACC side, I don't think they really want to get into what John Swafford was doing uh, when he was the commissioner pre-Jim Phillips and how that he let ESPN essentially hold him over a barrel. Because that appears maybe what somebody I mean, speak up. Yeah, yeah I know. somebody I mean, at another school, whether they're still there or not, speak up and go. Wait a minute, are we so sure we want to do this? I don't remember anything on record that anyone was complaining about what ESPN was asking them or telling them to do. Yeah, that also seems like it's the the hope of Florida State fans is there's like this smoking gun from back when the negotiations were occurring that's going to just like unleash all of this and let them be free to roam with very little penalty. That's like the dream scenario. Yeah, that's not going to happen. So I don't know how realistic that is. Um, but you, you do see a lot of finger pointing to when the deal was negotiated and how it was negotiated and ESPN's influence and all of that. But that was Jim Phillips just on the pregame panel for the Orange Bowl. Let it be known, like, yep, they're preparing for, for battle. Here's what I know. They're not getting out for free, but they're also not paying half a billion. But that's all we know. Yeah. They're getting out. 
it's just going to – the number is what's going to be the interesting thing. Yeah, so that uh, that remains kind of where it was before we uh, left off for a break, but I just wanted to wrap around back to that because that is certainly going to be a big talking point uh, moving forward. So elsewhere, uh, one other thing that was kind of – and that was very much off of the radar, but the USFL and the XFL have merged. I don't know if you guys saw yeah. this, but yeah. the Rock Dwayne Johnson was on the NFL on Fox pregame show – and has announced that there will be a merger uh, with the XFL and the USFL, and it will now be the UFL. The UFL, the new uh, United Football League, the merger between the XFL and USFL. Uh, CEO and former XFL president Russ Brandon will be in the same role with the UFL. Meanwhile, Daryl Moose Johnston, who was an executive with the USFL and, and doing football ops, he'll now do football ops over uh, with this new league as well. So it'll be involved with Fox Sports, um, and the uh, merging of the teams has already been decided. There's going to be a kickoff on Saturday, March 30th for the new season. It'll be the Arlington Renegades, who won the XFL last year, versus the USFL champion, the Birmingham Stallions. And so that's a, kind of an interesting way for things to kick off, but they'll have eight teams, a little bit of a merger of uh, four from one side, four from the other, and I think one of the compromises was they had the Houston Roughnecks, which was a an XFL, but they're taking the USFL head coach, and there was there was two Houston franchises, so they're taking the XFL branding and the USFL head coach and merging that into mm-hmm. the Houston Roughnecks franchise that you will see. So there will be eight markets. Uh, they're carrying over four teams with their head coaches uh, uh, from each league. You'll have Birmingham, Houston, Memphis, and Michigan from the USFL side of things, and then Arlington, D.C., San Antonio, and St. Louis from the XFL side of things. So there you go. Uh, then those will be the, the conferences or divisions, so to speak. So there you go. The new UFL, we'll see if that makes any more of a dent in spring football interest. I, I don't know that it will, but it's at least consolidating, which is something that you kind of needed to happen when it, all these leagues were sort of sprouting up, you know? Well, I, I think there's shocking that they had to consolidate. <laughs> yeah, shocking. I think it's here's the good parts about it. Whether people really stick to it or not, they have a singular company with a vision now as opposed to several different ones. Yeah. There are not – the USFL failed because they had – a lot of really bad owners in addition to that. like the, Just read about the San Antonio gunslingers and tell me that guy should have owned anything uh, ever. But they're all – like that's why it failed in the 80s, uh, among other things. But now they have one owner. It's the Rocks Group that owns it. You know, So I think it'll be better. They've got good TV contracts. It'll be better than anything that we've seen before. But it's all going to depend on how many people watch it on TV and go to the games. Uh, and it'll be better for the players, too, because you have one place you can go to get that shot to maybe get get into the NFL. So that's all good. But, again, it's still a huge roll of the dice on does anyone care about it. Yep. Does anybody care? We'll see. Um, but the split interest, at least, is now consolidated into one major league with uh, the eight teams. And then, meanwhile, tonight, the long-awaited opening of Foster Pavilion here uh, in Waco with uh, Baylor's brand-new basketball arena. The Baylor men, number 18 team in the country, will host Cornell to kick off the new arena. And then tomorrow night, the women uh, will take on number 23 TCU to open uh, their Foster Pavilion stint. So uh, all that happening later on tonight. And it uh, should be interesting to check out the new digs and uh, see what it's all about and see uh, what kind of excitement it can create. And there's a few things off the radar. Thank you, Craig. It's supposed to be kind of nasty weather. I don't know if I was going to go over there. I have a press pass to get in a parking spot. But uh, 
Not sure if I will or not, and if not, I'll try to go tomorrow. The TCU women, pretty good in basketball. We know what Baylor is. They beat Texas on the road in Austin on Saturday. All right, when we come back, Phil Bennett breaks down what he saw as a coach, what was making Michael Penix so effective. Uh, Did Tom, excuse me, did Steve Sarkeesian get away from the run game too much? The Michigan-Alabama, from a football coach's perspective, Phil Bennett, next on 365 Sports. Marco's Pizza. Pizza lovers get it. Marcos.com. You can go there and find all the specials they have. They change up from uh, sometimes day to day, sometimes week to week. But the bottom line is they have different specials for you. If you want to order a pizza, pizza bowl, sandwiches, soft drinks, wings, salads online. Or you can pick up the phone and call your local Marco's Pizza, five of them in the Waco, Texas area, including uh, Bell Mead, China Spring, Woodway, also Hewitt and Robinson. Marco's Pizza, the owner, Bob Mock, locally involved in many things, including what we do every day right here on 365 Sports. Their pizza that's been delivered here is from the Bell Mead location. But if you want something special, they have code words available online if you want to go online to marcos.com. Marcos Pizza. Pizza lovers get it. How did Edward Jones become one of the biggest financial service companies in the world? By not acting that way. Financial strategies, one-on-one advice, it's a big difference. And that's why Brad Wilson, your Edward Jones financial advisor, makes sense of investing. Experience the difference for yourself. Brad Wilson, 250 Sharon Drive in Woodway, 254-776-4337. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. Baylor alumni are more than 160,000 strong. When we all join hands to support our university, we don't just move the needle, we move mountains. Working together, we create life-changing opportunities for students on the field, in the classroom, in the laboratory, and in life for generations to come. So get connected. Get involved. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. Ring in the new year with unbeatable savings on the new 2023 Ram Trucks during a wrap-up-the-year sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco. Take advantage of this limited-time opportunity and start the new year in style. Shop our great selection in-store or online today. Samantha Duvall, TexasBeefHouse.com in White House, Texas, just outside of Tyler in East Texas. Aged Wagyu beef and so much more you have on your ranch. And what is next? We are planning another auction January 30th. This auction will be an in-person, online also, a live auction like we did the first time. You come out to the ranch, dinner is going to be provided. It'll um, be a variety of steaks, hamburger, sausage, tri-tip, brisket, roast, all of the different Wagyu cuts. It's going to be on a Tuesday. It's on January 30th, and it'll kind of be your get ready for 
for a Valentine's dinner auction. We, of course, have a great relationship, partnership with what you do. How has the reaction been as your name and what you guys do at TexasBeefHouse.com grown? It has grown a lot over this last year. I kind of made a joke at the beginning of 2023 and told my husband, 2023 is going to be our year. I don't know how it, how, what we're going to do, but something with 2023, it's going to be our year. And we started our auction. So, so many things have changed for us this year, which has been for the better. So we just want to tell all of our customers, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and thank you so much for your continued support in the year of 2023, and we hope that you return to us in 2024. And they will. Repeat customers because the product is amazing. Aged Wagyu Beef, TexasBeefHouse.com. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 5 o'clock hour is sponsored by Edward Jones Investments with financial advisor Brad Wilson. Investing his time and experience back to you and your money during today's changing times. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Phil Bennett, longtime college football coach, has been with us on most Mondays today because of of course, the holiday yesterday and a good time because we can look back at what Michael Penix did to UT Secondary and also vice versa, all of what we saw on film. Coach, thanks for your time. Happy New Year. Craig and Paul here with me. David Smoke, did you expect Penix to have that kind of success against UT? You know, it was almost a repeat of the Alamo Bowl. Uh, threw the ball so well vertically. Uh, and really, you know, they stayed in their man-to-man. I, I was surprised, Smokey, that they stayed in the man-to-man the whole time and didn't give those corners some relief, especially after Washington State playing zone against them and doing such a good job against him. That that was surprising. Phil, I, I do think, though, that, that – some of the guys, especially Ryan Watts, may go back and watch the film and think, well, I mean, I don't know what else I can do. Roma Dunce is just that guy, and Penix was just on. So how do you how do you deal with the aftermath of that as a coach going, all right, look, you, you did actually what we told you to do, but this guy's just who he is? Well, you know, you can say that, Paul. We've all been there, and I'm not – it's easy to say it after the fact. But as I said, a year ago – this was almost a carbon copy game with the vertical route. Uh, they couldn't cover them last year. Uh, and, and one of the things Penix does, his vertical deep ball is so good. And I had read, you know, where, where I went back and looked. Washington State played a zone under man on top and really did a good job with them. I sort of thought Texas would feed off that, uh, but they stayed in their their man to man. It was tough. Coach, what did you make of Washington's ability to fend off that nasty Texas front, that passing attack, or that uh, excuse me, the pass rush of uh, and just general chaos bringers that uh, Texas has there on the defensive line? Uh, Washington's offensive line has to be pretty happy with that performance. No, I thought they were super. You know the the way they they gave him the pocket and the time. Uh, you know, it takes a while to run a vertical route. And, and that was the key right there, Craig, the time that he had <laughs> to throw the ball. It, it was um, it was the difference. 
So Penix has, he's left-handed. As a defensive coordinator, he's obviously pinpoint accurate. How much does facing a left-handed quarterback change things up, if at all? You know, it's all about the hashes. If you can make, you know, where they, you know, one of the things, I say this again, and I know it's critical, but Texas never ran a load coverage. You know, they, their corners were, were hey, you're going to cover them all night. And uh, so I really don't think that was an issue. Phil, um, when you look at the last two minutes of that game, or 145, watching it, what were you thinking about the way that, that Washington managed the clock? You know, I thought they had lost the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why they just didn't kneel. Um, and and I, I haven't heard what their coach said. Has he made a statement on it? He, he There was an interview in the post game that he – Kind of like admitted that they could have done things better, but it, it not really. He he didn't really like in any way in the post game and went back and looked to discuss the clock management. Uh, there were so many things that went wrong, even on the field goal that they made to give him a nine point lead. They threw a pass on what third down, stopped the clock. Right. Texas right. saved the timeout. The running into the punt returner for fifteen yards is almost like everything that could go wrong that gave UT a chance to win. Did. And I'm asking you about on the injury to Johnson, where they had the clock running and they stopped the clock for an injury on the offense who has the ball. Well, I, I, I guess I did not know that rule. And they, they did not start it again until the snap. Now, listen, we went through that at the, when we played Michigan State. Mm. Uh, they had no timeout last drive, and, and one of our D linemen got hurt. And and if he doesn't get hurt, the clock runs out. They stop the clock, end up throwing a pass to win the game. So, yes, <laughs> I've seen that happen. Coach, on the other side of the bracket, we know it'll be the Michigan Wolverines after their overtime thriller against Alabama, stuffing Jalen Milrow on the final play of the game. Uh, I guess just what stood out to you amongst all of the different things to, to – Parcel through, what stood out to you above all else when it came to that Michigan win? Uh, their defense. Their defense is, uh, they were so physical against the run, and then their secondary played so, uh, were so, so attacking to the receivers. Uh, I really felt like, um, you know, their front dominated the whole game, which, which helped their secondary. <laughs> and like we talked about, Texas couldn't do that. And, and they did, and it set the whole thing up. Phil, I'm going to let you go. I know your voice is struggling right now, but uh, the last thing on the matchup between Michigan's defense, their run game against Washington, who gave up some long runs to Texas, or a lot of runs to Texas, that matchup between those two, is it kind of a, a oil and water, night and day, different type of styles? Well, you know, Smoke is funny, but the thing that surprised me, is Texas was averaging, I think, the first half almost nine or ten mm-hmm. yards a carry. And they didn't help their defense by doing it more. Uh, you know, the best defense is them not having the ball. So, uh, yeah, I think Michigan is going to have an advantage with that. Uh, but Michigan better be ready for the vertical game that, that Pennix throws. Phil, thank you, man. Happy New Year, Coach. Appreciate your time. Sorry, sorry about this cold. No, that's okay. It's okay. It happens. Phil Bennett.
with us I, on uh, Mondays this week, Tuesday, because of the holiday. I, I, I didn't know that his voice could get hoarse based I, on how much he, it, yeah, I thought, I thought it was he un, had, unbeatable. I thought he had, he had trained it over years of uh, ripping people a new one. <laughs> you know, the weather changes. It gets yeah. cooler. It gets wet. Uh, and, and, and it just takes that one little, all of a sudden, you just don't have it in your voice. But uh, great to have Coach. We appreciate what he was able to tell us. Uh, yeah, surprised he could talk that long, given how it started. I mean, yeah, it sounded like his voice is pretty shot, so hopefully he's able to get some honey or some lozenges or whatever and, and get that corrected. But, uh, you know, appreciate the insight that he he did give us or the thoughts that he did give us. And, uh, yeah, just a couple of really great games and, uh, Michigan-Washington shaping up to be a, a really fun uh, styles clash. And I think, uh, yeah, that was just an amazing way to end the Christmas break was that Washington victory. Not because Washington won, but just the style in which it came down to that final throw from Quinn Ewers. And how did y'all feel about the way Ewers played? I mean, you can always point at the uneven. quarterbacks. It was uneven. I, yeah. I thought he was. I, I, I think he was, I probably he was gets more off. criticism than he deserves yeah, because I, of who I he agree. is and where he is. Uh, but – in crunch time, he played really he well. He played really well yeah. down the stretch, man. Yeah. It, well, so. it's like it's like he finally let his hair down, or they allowed him to. They hit, he finally hit the ball to Worthy. Well, he got hurt, <clears throat> sort of. Like, yeah. they, they thought maybe he had a concussion. It was weird. They asked him in the post game of like, "Did you get checked out for a concussion?" And what is like? Well, clearly he got checked out for a concussion, and they cleared him because that's why he came back into the game. But it did seem like he was a little bit loopy there for maybe a second or two, and then he he found his groove, man. He's He's probably coming back too, I would imagine, just because the oh, loaded quarterback yeah. class and the if there was any doubt, I would think a game like last night only cements that you're probably coming back. But I don't know about y'all. I saw a lot of clamoring for Arch, especially when he struggled early on. I know some of that's just fans being ridiculous because the the hype for this this guy is so insane already. But there is at least part of that fan base that is like ready to see Arch now. They're like they're like, all right, we've seen enough of you, or it's like let's see Arch, but. I don't know. If I had to put my paycheck on it, I'd say Ewers is back, and he'll be a man on a mission. But I, I think that he, he played pretty well, all things considered, last night. I, I thought uh, I thought when the game was on the line, when he hit the ball to Worthy, it kind of opened things up. And there were a couple other times we had guys open that it just, just a little bit off. He wasn't as sharp as Penix, but at, at the same time, he ended up with 300 and some yards. You know, last year against Washington, he threw for 369, I think, at a touchdown or two. In the Alamo Bowl, but it was weird. They, they run the ball so effectively, whether it was blue or whether it was, uh, my goodness, I'm going blank on the other running back. Baxter. That they have. Uh, Baxter. Yeah, Baxter. I mean, they were getting six to ten yards a carry. And if you wonder about a team like Washington that's up and down, they're going to they're gonna score a bunch of points. Would that not have been better to run the ball effectively to keep Washington off the field because they dominated, I don't know, until the last few minutes, time of possession, yeah. even with uh, the fact that they were going up and yeah. down the field as much as they were. Yeah, I do think that – I think it was frustrating, Sark, that Worthy and Mitchell were not involved early in the game. You know, they, they weren't making plays. They didn't have those kind of, oh, my God, these guys are so good kind of moments that that – that broke the back of Washington's defense. Also, look, in the in, in the run game, they were doing fine. Their offensive line got eaten up by Braylon Trice last night. Mm-hmm. And so he was a problem. Like, it was just – and then, of course, not to mention the turnovers, but, the like, the penalties really ate Texas up at the – like, they really did. So that's what I think contributed to Quinn Ewers. But my opinion of Quinn Ewers hasn't changed. I think he's getting better each and every week. And I think that – 
Should he come back to Texas, which it appears that's going to be the case. I mean, he hasn't made a final, final decision yet. But if the he way come- he was talking, and just, it was kind of the feeling already before that game. Yeah. But then the way he was talking in the post game, he's a lot of wee, 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 which that could just yeah. be your natural reaction. But it sounded like but a guy he, coming back. I, I think, and I think just, look, from a business standpoint, if he went out this year, he would probably be the sixth or seventh quarterback taken. And that still might be, like, in the second round. But... If he comes back and builds on what he's done, because remember, he, he went to college a year early. He's mm-hmm. a younger guy. Uh, if he comes back and continues to build on what he's done, especially with new skill players that he's going to have, because Mitchell and Worthy and Sanders are going to go to the league. So if he does that. Um, maybe. Maybe, we'll yeah. See, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I think they'd be crazy. Not to think, I, think, oh, yeah. I think they're gone in the first 40 picks. But, um if he has that with Matthew Golden and the new guys he's got, he's only going to shoot up the charts, and he'll probably be one of the first quarterbacks taken next year. Yeah, so, and they're yeah. they're going to bring in uh, you know the, the signing class, but also the what they Jonte Cook, uh, you know, some of the guys that they have coming back. They'll have plenty of weapons. They always do. Yeah, but man, eight, eight, <coughs> Eddie Mitchell's just. <sighs> you, you need a big catch. Like, that's the guy you go to. That's why it's no surprise that that's where they went last night. And just the, the one time that he couldn't come down with a, a late clutch catch, and it was also just a great play by the, the defense. Like Xavier Worthy, I know he's hobbled, but really quiet last night um, in comparison to, to what you'd want production-wise from one of your star guys in a game like that. But, yeah, I thought I thought Ewers played pretty well, especially there uh, at the end. And I'm very curious about his decision, even though it seems like he'll be back in Austin. But I saw a lot – you know how it is after any loss of, like, you want to start trying to – where do you pay, pl- put the blame? And I think for Texas it's like, man, just things – like, there's not really blame to go around. Yeah, it's you just, know, what, the coverage was good. Penix was just fantastic. Penix is really good. Uh, yeah. And those guys all get to be a year older. Uh, they do need, it seems like to me, they have great athletes on defense at all the positions. They can run around and, you know, Anthony Hill and all those. I do think that they do need to figure out a way that they're, they're the development of their secondary. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're not good because they are good. Johnny Bear's a really good player. He's we gone. mentioned, why well, no? Watts, though. I mean, a guy that was. Seemed to me he was covering well. They had Williams out in the first half. I never remember him making much of a play in the second half. It was suspended. But it seemed like they have some dudes. But is there a development across the board when it comes to their secondary? Yeah, and I guess that was like really the one, I guess, glaring position or position group or part of the the team that you could look at and say like they're not up to snuff with everybody else across the board is, is probably the secondary and not for a lack of talent. But, yeah, something does – you know, need some improvement as far as that goes. But I felt like that was as much just Washington making great well, plays as it was UT's secondary. But, no, that has been the storyline for them throughout the years. They're secondary. They're secondary. Going into that game, what's the weak spot? Washington's wide receivers and Michael Penix versus the Texas secondary. We yep. all knew that was the matchup along with the lines. And Washington won the battle of the lines. And uh, they also won that battle against UT's secondary. And that was just enough to get them that victory. But I wonder how that game goes if there's not that fumbled punt. Because that's really where you bought Washington muff yeah, punt. Washington's yeah, Washington's muff yeah. punt. Yeah, like, I think you're going to get like maybe a 37-24. Yeah, I think so and too. It, it just never would get dicey in the fourth but quarter. Man, he fumbled that. He muffed that punt, fumbled it away, and I was like, "Oh boy, here we go!" And sure enough, like obviously it was a classic finish. But uh, yeah, what a, what a great game. Second play, or was it the what was the second or third play of the game? Washington hit Polk. Yeah. for seventy-seven yards 
on, I think, what was their, what, second or third play of the game. When you do that, you saw something you knew you could take advantage of, and it really just from that point on, it kind of just opens up like questioning what you're doing and running around. And, and again, the receivers catching 19 of the 20 targets for 353 yards is a crazy stat. When we come back, Hall of Famer John McClain, the NFL, closes out the regular season this weekend. Paul's top five, and this is 365 Sports. Went by Don Chibador and Coffee Beans a couple of different times during the uh, chance for us to get a break. Carol, Ashley, and Cheyenne, 48-foot walking humidor with all the great brands of cigars, including some fantastic names, Rocky Patel, Ashton, Padron, Cohiba, My Father, uh, La Fontana, Romeo and Julieta, and so many more. Uh, it went by there also. They have the uh, CBD products available, Vita Dreams. If you struggle at night falling asleep, you can get the gummies, and, um, and you kind of learn of what maybe works for you just in case you seem to be one of those that when you go to sleep, there's always something that kind of keeps you from falling asleep immediately. The gummies, the CBD product can help you perhaps fall asleep a little bit more relaxed and without so much on your mind, or even if there is a lot in your mind. And, of course, the THC product for bad days, it's also a gummy for those who have chronic pain. That's available at Don Chimador and Coffee Beans. Cheyenne, Carol, Ashley, Don Chimador and Coffee Beans in the Townwest Shopping Center off Valley Mills in Waco. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. There are 26 letters in the alphabet, over 600,000 words in the dictionary, and just three of them said together can change everything. Let's order pizza. Those three words lead to dough made from scratch and three fresh signature cheeses that blanket golden crust in a heavenly melt on Marco's Pizza that'll blow your mind. So visit Marco's.com to order and stop by Marco's Pizza in Belmead, China Spring, Woodway, and in Robinson. Marco's. Pizza lovers get it.
Welcome back to 365 Sports. It's time for our weekly segment with NFL Hall of Fame columnist John McClain. Brought to you by Pioneer Steel and Pipe, where customer service is their main focus and best in metal, steel, and pipe for large or small projects with two locations in Waco and Bryan. Family owned and operated since 1943. Read John's work at sportsradio610.com. Hall of Famer John McClain with us. 365 Sports, the NFL 17th, the final week of the regular season coming up this weekend. And most of the seeds are settled. But, man, the AFC has some, uh, well, including the Texans, trying to get themselves in the postseason. John, thanks for your time. When they went to the 17 games, uh, it was money, right? That was the reason for doing that. In the end, has it created even more drama, or is it pretty much the same? One game left, and there's 20 teams that still have playoff possibilities, which is amazing. Texans are trying to be one of the teams going from worst to first in their division. It happens every year. It has a streak going of like 33 years in a row. By the way, I got to say, I've been tweeting, retweeting pictures of Foster Pavilion mm-hmm. for days now because I'm so excited about Baylor getting a new building. Because I go back to watching them play Arena Mars McLean Gym on campus to the Heart of Texas Coliseum to the Farrell Center. I think my first football game at Baylor was 1960, and my first basketball game was a little later. But uh, I had so many great memories of the Coliseum. And uh, so I, the, all the pictures just look fantastic. What kind of setup do they have for the media as far as? Is the press room as big as the one at the Farrell Center? And where are you guys going to be watching the games from? I, I don't know because I have only been there for a short little walkthrough. I didn't actually get to that part. I'll be there. I'm hoping. I haven't felt great today, but I was hoping to be able to get over there tomorrow just to kind of get my feel for the place. But I, I've been told the amenities are fantastic and the seating is better and closer and that everything should be very – once they get completely 100% everything done, it should be just really, really nice. Yeah, well, I can't wait to see it at some point. Back to the NFL. The Texans haven't played a game all season that wasn't at night. And for deadlines and podcasts, I write columns, do a podcast, and I do grades after the game. It's great. You know, I watch the late games, and now they got a primetime game. They had one last year on Amazon against Philadelphia here, but this one is going to be on ESPN. It's going to be on ABC. They got they got Joe Buck, they got Troy Aikman, Lisa Salters. So it's a big deal in Indianapolis where the Texans won last year in the last game by one point, a really big game that cost them Bryce Young. And, of course, they had to settle for C.J. Stroud. So if they win, the worst they could do Sunday, they win the division if the Titans upset Jacksonville. And if they lose, then uh, they go to either Kansas City or Buffalo, if Buffalo beats Miami in Miami. And uh, and so I, I love this time of year because it's the first time I've used Texans in playoffs in the same sentence since 2019. John, the uh, the playoffs are starting to take shape. Uh, you know, I know that uh, the Eagles are, are struggling. The Cowboys kind of got lucky uh, this last week. How do you? Who do you think is best positioned to make deep runs as we as we get towards the end here? It seems clear to me Baltimore, who I picked before the season, and San Francisco are the best team. 
Cowboys are good at home. And I'll say this for Dan Campbell. He tried to get too cute, sending three linemen over to the referee to try to confuse the Cowboys, which he did. But he also confused the referee. I'm guessing there will be a rule change in offseason. If you're an eligible receiver, only one can go over and tell the referee, I'm an eligible receiver, and rub your chest so they see what the number is. So the Cowboys are still invincible at home unless they suffer a humongous upset like the Eagles just did to Arizona. We're going to have another uh, NFC East champion. It goes, it, it rotates every year. It's amazing. Eagles right now, boy, if you lose at home to Arizona, you'd think that would galvanize you, but they look like they're falling apart. And there's a reason that no Super Bowl loser has returned to the Super Bowl since the 90s, other than the Patriots. And uh, so I think if all goes according to plan, it'll be Dallas going to Santa Clara. And it'll be who knows who, maybe the Browns going to Baltimore. Wouldn't that be a great story? Joe Falco goes back to Baltimore and plays against the team where he was Super Bowl MVP. What a story that would be. John, what do you make of uh, the Russell Russell Wilson situation out in Denver? What do you think the future holds there for both parties? Totally mishandled by the Broncos as they mishandled a lot, Greg. They become kind of a laughing stock. And uh, and I don't blame Russell Wilson at all. They wanted him to postpone the date of his injury guarantee when it became guaranteed. Well, of course he's not going to do that. He signed that contract in good faith. They can cut him any time. I don't blame him. He's going to get cut. They will they will split the cap hit over two years. Still be humongous. I could see him going somewhere. Like uh, if they had a young quarterback as a backup, like say the Raiders, because he hadn't played bad. He's handled everything in a first-class manner. Maybe he'd end up uh, at Washington if they wanted to give Sam Howell a year to watch. I'm just using that as an example. I don't think that would happen. Could it be New England? It's going to be a lot of quarterbacks drafted in the first round. And do you want to throw them to the wolves on a bad team, or would you like to have a veteran who can do things up front with the running game and the passing game that rookies can't and let the rookie watch and learn like Justin Love has done. And I think I saw Justin Love has like 19 touchdowns and one interception in a certain number of games they've won over the second half of the season. So there's a lot to be said. Letting a guy watch and learn, or in the case of C.J. Stroud, putting him out there and let him help turn around a bad team uh, turn it into a competitive team. Speaking of quarterbacks uh, in the market, uh, obviously a, a very quarterback-heavy draft coming up, but uh, how much money do you think Michael Penix made for himself last night, or is he already kind of where he was in, in your mind in, in the eyes of GMs and scouts, or, or is that one where like all, all of a sudden he enters the discussion in a much more serious manner? Let me uh, point out something that I think is ridiculous, and NFL denies it, but it's true. What a guy does in college has very little to do with where he's drafted. All of a sudden, teams will fall in or out of love with guys in shorts and t-shirts. When they're at their pro day, when they're at private workouts, when they're at the combine, when they're at the senior bowl workout. Now, what they may go back and do is take look at more tape of Penix, who'll be 24. Remember, he had two torn ACLs. His, his history of injuries 
and having two good seasons in a row, that'll be a big deal about him. What do they think about his 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 health? And uh, but man, I don't know that I've seen a quarterback do a better job of throwing pinpoint passes deep down the field. And uh, it was so much fun to watch. But there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks go in the first round because you guys know how desperate teams are. J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jake Daniels. There could be six of them going in the first round, maybe more, if somebody really stands out. What I can't wait to see is Quinn Ewers go back, which he should, and see if he goes back and he can hold off Arch Manning. John, uh, David Tepper in the news for throwing a drink on a fan outside of the suite, I guess, at a game in Jacksonville. Today, fine $300,000. Is he the modern or the newest on the top of the list replacing Daniel Snyder? I think 300000 is ridiculous. That's, that's tip money for him. They should have suspended him for a year from all team-related activities like they did with Snyder, although they never used the word suspension because they said he had stuff holding over their head that he would disclose. Now, he hasn't been despicable. He's a bully who doesn't know what he's doing. But Snyder was despicable. And the fines that he paid, I often wonder, where does all that money go? Fine $22 million here, $30 million there. Does it go to charity? Does it go into the coffers to give owners money to help build new stadiums? But not right now. David Tepper is the worst owner in the league. He doesn't have his first draft choice, which will be first overall. Doesn't have a lot of talent. And, of course, somebody will go there and get hired because there's only 32 of these in the world. But whoever it is, he better keep his resume handy. John, what did you think of the call at the end of the Cowboys-Lions game? Uh, I thought that it was when the Cowboys, when the Lions tried to confuse the Cowboys, and they did, they confused the referee. They got too cute. I was thought, yes, the referee blew it, but you shouldn't have three guys over there trying to fool the other team. And that's why I think a new rule will come out saying that one person can go over and tell the referee I'm eligible so he can announce it. Yeah. One thing I would have done, by the way, I would have had a guy fall down and act like he's got a pain, a cramp. And in the meantime, I would have had a player go over and tell the referee, did you hear you announced 70? It's not 70. It's 68. Do something to stop the game. Because as one person said, the ref was in such a hurry to keep the game going fast. It's like he was catching an Uber. He didn't stop and talk to him. He just glanced at him, thought it was 70, and kept going. So Dan Campbell tried to get too cute. Did that uh, crew, do you know, I've seen reports, Craig's brought this up even today, did they get pushed down a little bit when it comes to any playoff activity? Well, they're giving them the prime, They're giving them the afternoon game with Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Mm. Pittsburgh needs to win to, try to get in the playoffs. So they certainly haven't punished them. You want to punish them, have them go do the, the Panthers game. Now, I think these assignments are made out ahead of time, but uh, they're reported by Adam Schefter, and you know he's not going with this unless the league told him. You won't see that crew in the playoffs of the Super Bowl. And um, But I still think the Lions deserve a lot of the blame. Had he just kicked the field goal in the first quarter like Troy Aikman was saying, take the points on the road, 
instead of going for first down and getting stuff, they would have won the game. Had he kicked it, they would have gone into overtime. I think sometimes Dan Campbell outsmarts himself, but good for him because they're still winning. Thank you, John. Happy New Year. Great Thank you, guys. You Happy New Year. Second Bears. John McClain, Houston Chronicle for years, and then, of course, now part of Sports 610 for years, radio in Houston and Hall of Famer, NFL Hall of Fame voter, and also a part of the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame. When we come back, Paul Catalina and his top five. Unite Private Networks. Why do you, should you go with Unite Private Networks? Look, I um, I know all of you here uh, on this in the room have been on a plane and tried to use their internet. I was trying to watch the Cowboys on the plane with the internet, and it made me wish I was sitting just in here trying to watch the Cowboys game with UPN's internet. Obviously, they can't do airplane Wi-Fi, but why, if you're a business, should you get it? It's business-grade internet, protected fiber service, dedicated symmetrical upload and download, and speeds up to 10 gigabytes per second, and it is fantastic. It has changed everything that we do around here. It's made Emery's job a whole lot faster. As a matter of fact, Emery was trying to do some work when he was back home he missed the upn internet because he couldn't load a file it is that good you will you'll want to stay at work because your your office has such great internet we had a big problem before with the carry we had we don't have any problems now and their customer service is second to none you call one ring they've got your problem solved that's what it is white glove customer service if you're here locally in waco call my buddy ace wiggly 254-803-7070 or go online to unitedprivatenetworks.com texas farm bureau insurance has been proudly serving texans across the state for over 60 years call 254-772-8090 to find an agent who will provide a free review of your auto home and life coverage Boozers is the wedding ring store and more. If you're ready to get engaged or already married and want to upgrade your wife's ring for a special anniversary, Boozers is the place to go. With the largest selection of premier quality diamond engagement rings and wedding rings in Central Texas. They have seven cases with over 300 styles of rings from top designers like Natalie Kay. Choose from yellow, white, or rose gold, plus beautiful top quality loose diamonds. With an in-house jewelry, they can also custom make anything you want. Bring in a picture or drawing and let Boozers create your one-of-a-kind pendant or ring. They can even use some of your old gold and diamond jewelry to create something new. At Boozers, you'll find a great selection of quality timepieces, and Boozers is the place for expert watch maintenance and repairs, too. They specialize in expert Rolex watch repair for fine jewelry, watches, custom work, and more. Go to Boozers on Valley Mills and Lake Air Drive in Waco. Boozers, the wedding ring store. Time for Paul Catalina's Top 5, brought to you by Texas Beef House. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Top 5 CFP thoughts. Number 5. Michigan can just grind you into a powder. As much as they may not be as prolific offensively, look, J.J. McCarthy is not Michael Penix, but he's a gamer. I mean, he he steps up in the big moments. He makes plays when he has to. And 
there again, Sharon Moore is not calling the same kind of offense that you're going to see Ryan Grubb call at Washington, but holy cow, they find ways to be effective. Blake Corum is really great. They've overcome the loss of Zach Zenter, who's uh, a top, you know, 50 picket guard. Uh, they really. Uh, play you physically on both sides of the ball. How they got after Alabama's offensive line last night, especially in the first half, was super impressive. Uh, and really, I think, got in center Seth McLaughlin's head. Uh, he, was, he was snapping the ball low all night, and that's not something he's done. Uh, they made they took advantage of Alabama's mistakes where most teams couldn't. And, you know, say what you will about Jim Harbaugh and the coaching staff. That was something that not many people did this year, except for Texas. Uh, and and they did it, and they beat Alabama, and they did it by being one of the few teams in Nick Saban's era that physically muscled them up. Did it despite some major special teams miscues. Yeah, uh, yeah there's some things that could have gone very differently there for, for Michigan, uh, and especially late there. But, yeah, there's a really good overall team. Um, I couldn't help, and I've watched them a few times this year, but – just how big they are, like every like the NFL prototypical like style of a player. It seems like every lineman, every player is like your. They all look like a block. Yeah, it's just like Alabama's like offensive big line. Ten, Michigan, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, just a Big Ten looking football team. But uh, no, I mean they're very good. Blake Corum, special. JJ McCarthy, like he said, is a gamer. Um, they're just really deep and really good. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup with with Washington because they're not. Mon- like they're not just the exact same. They they are very different and unique in their own right. But um, yeah, that could have gotten away from Michigan, and they kept their cool. They could have gotten away from them at points during the season. They kept their cool, and I think that what was you know controversial out there in the public is going to be something that brings that has brought them together. And maybe that's what pushes them over the finish line as far as going to win the first national championship since 1997 because uh, now they're only one game away. But, uh, yeah, they are big and physical, and uh, they will mash on you. Absolutely. Number four, Washington plays fast and loose. I mean, they, <laughs> they you, know, I, you know, we heard uh, Dick Fain earlier say, you know, the all gas, no breaks thing kind of applies to Ryan Grubb as well. He's from that same thought. But uh, last night, the way that they were managing the clock and the way that they have all season long. Now, this is why Kalen DeBoer, I've come to this conclusion. This is why he's the coach of the year. Not only has he coached this team up, but he's coached them through 10 straight close games into being 14-0 and now and having the wherewithal to make plays when they have to, in spite of the fact that sometimes he and the coaching staff make decisions that puts the team in At bad risk. positions. Yeah. So he's got a team that's mature enough to handle that, and he can trust them enough. So that's why he's the coach of the year. Uh, and, look, they 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 can't – you would say they can't keep doing it, but it's worked out 14 times in a row for them. Uh, so – but they do. I did notice that about them once again last night, that they just – Man, they'd like to really, you know, bet it all on Red 17 and then see what happens. Yeah, well, Red 17's a Dunze or Polk <laughs> yeah. or McMillan yeah. or whoever. And you get or the, the guy. tight end is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and so you've got a lot of great options that not a lot of other teams are, are able to have. But, yeah, they're, they're, they're a big play waiting to happen. And, you know, how Michigan's able to curtail that and – I would imagine force them to try and grind it out, and especially what Dylan Johnson's health looked like after last night. I mean, he was hurt in the middle of that game. He was, came in a little bit banged up, and certainly by the end of it was um, 
the worse for wear. So how is he able to heal up here in the next few days and continue trying to battle through those injuries? But, yeah, they are they are fun to watch. They are electric. When they hit that big pass to Polk pretty much right out of the gates, it was just like, okay, here here we go, setting the tone. And uh, they hit a few more to Adunze and, and the rest of the cast throughout the night. But, um, yeah, they, are, they do play fast. They do play loose. And it's going to be a, a very interesting clash of styles. Number three. Bama was not one of the four best, in my opinion. And I here's here's where I'm going to say this. I'm not about to – I'll save my Florida State rant for the last one. But uh, if it's about – like, and I've been thinking about this, of course, since the, the vomit came out of the committee's mouth. But if it's about the four best and conference titles don't matter, then why did Bama's win over Georgia matter? Just because they're Bama? Because if conference titles don't matter, or if it's about the four best and not the four most deserving, then Bama's win over Georgia shouldn't have mattered because Georgia is probably the better team, just not on that day. And all like all this gets into it. I I mean, look, they but they were one of the four most deserving because they won when they had to. And that's they beat the two time yes, defending absolutely. national champions. But and Broke their long winning streak, and that in itself was, to me, but Alabama's. Especially when you look at the quarterback play last night. If quarterback play and four best were right. the the things, Alabama proved neither of those two things last Milrow night. Milrow looked more like he did early in the year last night, yes. than he did the last five to six games when he was playing free and easy. And Michigan may have a lot to do with yes, that. but I think Bama was the committee's argument collapsing in on itself. Because I don't think they check either one of those boxes of the quarterback is better than anybody who's going to be in there. What would be more controversial, FSU not making it, or Alabama beating Georgia and Georgia, and Georgia still making it? Yeah, I mean, look, they had uh, controversy. Well, for Feinbaum and ESPN, we know the answer would be. Yeah. I think the answer would be different for everybody else. Yeah. yeah, but like, I just think that when you come when the argument was only the four best and then the quarterback, well, Alabama kind of doesn't really check those boxes, even though I do think that they earned their way in. Yeah, you just couldn't put Georgia in because Georgia just got beat. I mean, yeah. that's that's simple as it was. Was that Alabama was right place, right time, right brand, right conference, and right win, and Georgia. That's kind of what I said at the very beginning of the show. If you're a fan of the expanded playoff, this is a year where you go, like, we should have had more than four teams because what would Florida State have? Could they have put up a better fight? I don't know. Um, but certainly Georgia could have disrupted all of the, the rest of this whole thing uh, given how they looked throughout um, you know, most of the year staying unbeaten up until that, that championship game. I know they weren't always super impressive, but they got the job done, and they got the job done, and they got the job done until they finally did it, and then they went out there and just blasted Florida State. Um, as we were all afraid of as far as hoping for a competitive game. But, yeah, uh, I, I think it's it's a fair conversation to have that Bama was not one of the four best, but timing and a lot of other things were on their side that, that didn't have to do with necessarily being one of the four best teams. Yeah. Number two, Penix and Adunze are alphas. I mean, they are playing at a level right now, and – yeah, I've seen a lot of draft people talk about Michael Penix Jr. and where he stands, but, man, watching him zip the ball on a frozen rope and throw deep balls makes me think that a lot of them uh, might be changing their tune here soon, and I think NFL teams, um, you know, when he's in shorts, like John just said, might start to fall in love with what he can do. Now, look, they're already in love with Rome Dunze, who I think will probably be the second or third wide receiver drafted. I think everybody, you know, will take – 
Marvin Harrison Jr. first, but Craig, I'm, I'm kind of with you. When it comes down to the Bolitnikov, I, I, I think that, you know, Roma Dunce might have gotten the, the short end of the stick uh, there a little bit because he just makes plays when he needs to all the time. And there are, like, you just, when guys are locked in like the two of them are, not to mention the other guys they have, but these two in particular, when these two are locked in like that, there's nothing you can do about it. No, they're good. But Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and, the, and, and their heyday connection. You know, Brady to Moss that year where they just knew, you know, young to – Young in Montana to Rice, like those kind of things. I know those are all NFL examples, but when you're just that in sync, what can the other team do about it? Yeah, I mean, there's not much that Texas could do about it, even with great coverage in certain spots. Uh, I think Roma Dunze is a very deserving winner of the Bolitnikoff. Had it gone that direction, I, I get the Marvin Harrison thing. And Marvin Harrison also didn't play with a quarterback as good as Michael Penix. I mean, what his numbers have been in the Washington offense, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that's for, for the voters themselves to have figured out. And, um, you know, I would have gone differently. I, I would have gone with Roma Dunze and, and would have done that before last night. But last night just reinforced what a freak show or alpha uh, he is. Same thing for Penix. I think that that's obvious. And, uh, yeah, they're just two really, really good players um, who's going to be fun to see how Michigan attempts to you know take that away to what extent that they can or what they end up focusing on defensively. But Penix and Adunze are likely still to find a couple of big plays at bare minimum. And, you know, you've got great options in, in Polk and McMillan and various others that can make big plays for you as well. But, yeah, those two uh, are – Big, if not the two biggest reasons why Washington's where they are, playing for a national title. That connection right there. And, uh, man, they were they were smoking last night. Number one, FSU could have hung with all four. And I'll even make the contention that in Michigan, Alabama, I don't know about in Texas and Washington, if Tate Rodemaker had a month to prepare that he couldn't have, have thrown for 175 yards and kept it close with either one of those two based on the way that that game went and the, and the players that would have been around him in that game. Now, would they have won? I don't know. And I do know this. If Jordan Travis is playing in this game, in, the, in this thing, we're not even having this conversation, but uh, it's unfortunate. And I just felt watching, especially that first game, that Florida State got really, really screwed because you can win a lot of different ways. And Alabama and Michigan showed you that last night, and Florida State wasn't given that opportunity. And I just I think it's nonsense. You know what, though, I'm, I, and I agree, uh, obviously, with what the decisions were made. But, you know, Florida State's got to show something where games matter. I understand the disappointing, but it's all part of, like, well, I can't get our way. We're going to quit. Oh, I'm not thrilled about what they did. I, I wish I they would have handled it. it better. I understand. I get it. Let's but go to the transfer the crowd that was saying, uh, let's, let's sit out the bowl game. Yeah, like, what they, an awful they, look that well, would have been. Look, here's the thing. They kind of did. They kind of did. <laughs> they kinda, it like, was an awful they, look. They got they – got, Absolutely, it didn't prove as, anything. They they got absolutely as close to boycotting the game as they could, yeah. and still got their like they bas- on off the field. They basically they basically showed up and took their check. But, yeah. did, like, it, but it, did it did it did the did the didn't change anything? No, I mean, did the middle anything. finger like change the yeah. way the committee's gonna? No. no, no, absolutely not. No, no, because well, and the thing is, is that the committee is just going to use it as as fuel to the fire, right? It, but it, it, we we see these narratives now after bowl games. If you lost the game, it didn't matter. If you won the game, it was a huge win. And we see too much of, well, Georgia was one of the top four teams. Then don't lose to Alabama. You can't have everybody get in the four. And in Florida State's case, it would have been nice. Okay, screw it. We, uh, we got screwed. Let's go figure it out. 
with then, of course, the transfer and the opt-outs in the NFL, some big boy names that didn't play. Yeah, I mean, based on what we saw from from some of these showings, I mean, there's an argument to be made that Florida State could have been competitive, but would they have won any game in any matchup? I don't know. Um, I, I don't really have much confidence in that with Tate Rodemaker. But, hey, like you said, a month to prepare. Who the heck really knows? But I, I don't think that, that that showing against Georgia really did them any favors, you know, whether you were protesting it or however you're choosing to look at that. Um, that was just an ugly, ugly game uh, that could have been so much better. And that's unfortunate we didn't get a better matchup there for a variety of different reasons. But, yeah, I mean, the good thing is is that Next year, a team like that's in, and I know they're very much the anti-playoff expansion or anti-four or whatever. You're never going to make everybody happy. Um, I don't know how you can argue on one hand that, um, you know, let's have uh, these bowl games matter and not like that they're going to make a game like like Florida State and Georgia would have mattered a lot more in a playoff setting, right? And that's what you're hoping to curtail. So we'll see if that ends up working in a year from now. But, yeah, that was an ugly game. And fortunately, we were able to get a couple of great games yesterday to – to really leave us feeling pretty good until the national yeah. title game here in a week. You want me to tell you guys about the viewers, or you want to wait till Thursday on the bull? Go ahead. 27.2 million turned into Bama, Michigan. That's close to the, the NFL number. Yeah. That is that not more than the NFL Best number? Best semifinal since year one. Top 10 cable telecast of all time. Um, peaked at 32.8 million. 18.4 million watched Texas Washington, fourth highest Sugar Bowl audience in 20 years. And that game was a late game that you wonder how much of their numbers were affected by some of it being well past midnight on the East Coast. And even some of it, it seemed like mid, mid, midnight here in the Central. Well, that's just uh, three million less for Bama, Michigan, than uh, three million less than that massive Cowboys Lions yep. uh, Saturday night, on Monday a Saturday night, football night prime game, time um, for Christmas break. So, yeah, that's a super impressive. No, that's way higher than I thought it was. 20s. Yeah, that's 20, NFL yeah. numbers. Yeah, that's, and, and that's from Pat Smith, who we've had Pat Smith Radio. We've had him on the show. And that's why you know there's so much discussion and talk about the future and what they're trying to shape it up. They being the the powers that be, shape it up to be. Uh, you get you know maybe not as uh, much of a of a great game with certain schools if you want to really parse through the Big Ten and the SEC. But you are going to get big fan bases and big TV ratings as a result. Whether Iowa is great or not, mm-hmm. Iowa fans are going to tune in and watch the game. Nebraska, whether they're great or not, they're going to have better TV ratings than most any other team that you put in that spot. So if you're a big TV ratings person or somebody who's who's using that as a reason for why. There's all this big change happening. I mean, that's that's the type of number that will push you in that direction of big brands, big numbers, yep. big eyes, and, and all of that. That's a massive, massive number. And the other one's good, too, but that's just a that's a huge one. That's, that's monstrous NFL-type numbers, as we said. Thanks to Emery and Jack. Thank you, Garrett. Appreciate it. Great to be back. Chat room was fired away from the beginning. Just going at it. Thank you very much. And, of course, our sponsors, as we start a new year in 2024, headed towards the rest of the year with who knows what might come day-to-day in college athletics. For Paul Catalina and for Craig Smoke, thank you very much. I'm David Smoke. This is 365 Sports Tonight at 1030 on the local CW, 365 Sports Tonight. DLMRI is a small family business 